0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to another week of the Live Life Aggressively podcast with Mike Mahler and myself, Sincere Hogan. What's up, my man?
1: I'm doing good, buddy. How are you this week?
0: Hey, man, I'm great, man. Still, still full of energy, man. Still kind of riding off a high from the last week's show, man. When we talked to James, <clears throat> and, yeah, that was incredible. Yeah, so just had me, had me thinking about a lot of different things this past week, and just really, like I said, we said this in the very beginning when you listen to that show you know there's I mean there's just no way you can't walk away a different person you know after listening listen to all that so I agree like I said it did put a lot of things in perspective and then just really made me just think about just the power that we have to really help help James out and help in these situations and just with pretty much any cause that you know we can put our energy into so yeah I agree. This is definitely one I definitely want to spend more time in helping him and yeah. to help these young ladies you know get back on track man and you know, we have a perfect platform right here, so if, you, if you're tuning in for the first time to this show, make sure you hop back and check out episode 10 with James Pond, our guest, uh, from transitionsglobal.org. Um, he's doing a lot of great things over there, man, and he's really helping a lot of young ladies who have been victimized through sex trafficking and, and sex exploitation and helping these young ladies, first of all, just help rescue them from these situations and then helping them just get their lives together and Help live a normal life, and beyond that. So they're doing a lot of great things right there. So definitely give them. A, just take check out their website. is transitionsglobal.org. And anything you can do, just even just spreading the word, man. Because this is definitely something that needs to be talked about. As uncomfortable as it may be for most people, you know, it's a conversation that needs to be had. So, hey.
2: I agree,
1: uh, man. TransitionsGlobal.org is a great organization. A lot of times people are reluctant to make any donations because you just wonder how much of your money is really going to any good. And I I understand that reservation extremely well. So I actually asked James that question. What do you say to people that are just skeptical? And he gave me a really nice email, which I will post on my social media pages. I'll post it on the episode archive on my website. So you can go check out a third-party site where you can learn about the financial stats of his organization. His income is way below $50,000. So that's actually not even mentioned over there, but, that, but that's you know, below 50,000 is a very reasonable income for a guy who runs a nonprofit. So you should feel, you should rest assured that your money is gonna to go to help some good people out. Also, I, I actually went on and sponsored one of the ladies after talking yeah. to James, and they, they send you a nice gift package. You get yeah, this they plaque. really do. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And then you you also get updates on the status of the young lady. You can check out her blog and see what she's up to, the person you're helping out and so forth. So anyway, human trafficking is a big deal. It's something we should all be concerned about. But like Sincere said, if if you're financially strapped right now, you just don't have any extra change to send. I'm not going to argue with you on whether that's true or not. That's for you to decide. But just spread the word about the episode. Even Twittering this episode, even recommending to other podcast shows that they get James on as a host. You know, anytime, anyone I know who runs a podcast, I've already emailed and said, you've got to get this guy on your show.
0: He's yeah, awesome. definitely. And, and even if, you know, even if you're local news, I mean, just about yeah. everywhere, yeah. you, no matter where you are, your local news personalities have Twitter. They have Facebook. They have their fan pages. Hey, post, take, take the podcast, post it on there, take the link to TransitionGlobal.org and put that on their website. Because one thing about the news, me coming from the media, coming from that world, they're always looking for news stories, special stories like this. So definitely, like, you can pass that on. Trust me, I'm passing it on to all my friends that I know that are in news. I mean, I have friends that work at CNN, the local channels, and in other markets as well, and they're definitely going to get this information. So that's just one way to, like, that's one way of doing your part and and contributing right there. It doesn't necessarily always have to be a monetary contribution. So I think that's what people kind of get mixed up. It's like, okay, well, I don't have anything to give. Oh yeah. You have plenty to give. If you can turn on that computer, you can give a lot right there. And right. sometimes I mean, this goes farther exactly. than money.
1: You if you're know. spending an hour on Facebook then you can throw this in the mix. And <laughs> it's one of those things also where sometimes the topic is very uncomfortable for people to talk about. But one thing you have to realize is that James is on the positive side of this whole thing where he's, actively helping out these people so it's, a lot of times we get stressed out about suffering in the world because we don't feel like we can do anything about it so we just shut it off but this is a guy who's doing something about it and you can do something about it by supporting his efforts
0: yeah definitely. So don't underestimate how much things. power don't underestimate how much power that we have you know as individuals and then collectively so don't feel you know like what can i do oh you can, trust me you've got the power to make stuff happen man you know so and another
1: thing you could do, you could. One thing you could do, you can use coupon code LLA to get 10% off my supplements, and I'll make a donation for you. How about that? Because How about that? The more money you send me, the more money I make, the more generous I feel, and I well, want to Mike, give back. Well, my <laughs> <I> concern. <laughs> so I use, with that use and... LLA to get 10% off my testosterone booster, my recovery oil. I have a new supplement coming out soon called Restorezyme, which is systemic enzymes with ginger, incredible product for managing inflammation. And we'll talk about that more when it when it's actually has come out. It's going to be out in about six to eight weeks, so I'll have extremely detailed info on that when it's out. And then uh, how about yourself, Sincere? What do you have going on?
0: And on the same note, I can still donate on, on behalf of you when you make a purchase <laughs> of my digital download of my Bodyweight DVD. Just hop over to NewWarriorTraining.com, download the DVD, type in the coupon code LLA, which I keep it simple around here. And, hey, I'll donate as part you know, on behalf of you. So how about that? So, yeah, let's make it happen, folks. We can do this. So. Yeah, we
1: definitely can. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep plugging away with that. And so. also – Let's talk about our current guest. We have a good friend of mine, Dale Hart, on the show today. We actually spent the last hour trying to get him on, literally. We had some technical difficulties here. It's like <laughs> a running theme for our show every
0: week right now, these first couple weeks. It's, just like, it's like Mike and Sincere in a handicap match with Skype. Right. <laughs> but somehow we still remain undefeated against Skype, no matter what it throws at us.
1: <laughs> and before I joke further, are you on the show, Dale? Can you hear us?
3: Okay. Ready. I'm feeling a lot of pressure, though, Mike. Can you hear me? Yeah,
1: yeah. just just make sure you speak into the phone, Dale.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay.
1: Hey,
2: man, what we were saying,
0: man, none of that R. Kelly trapped in the closet stuff we were just talking about, man. Come out of the closet.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I was in the Navy this <laughs> year.
2: <laughs> now, Take Dale,
3: Dale
1: is a, real quick on Dale's background, Dale is a former MMA fighter. He fought in the UFC a couple times. And he also has some really interesting ideas on training fighters. So he's more on the strength and conditioning side of things now. So he's, it's going to be a good discussion. So, Dale, real quick, let's talk about, let's just jump right into this thing, actually. What do you, just now, now that you're a former fighter who now is on the strength and conditioning side of things, among other things you do, what do you feel are the biggest mistakes that fighters are making with their strength and conditioning programs?
3: If I could go back right now, Mike, uh, the biggest thing I would change up is my diet. <clears throat> I would have, uh, I would have done my diet differently, and uh, I probably would have uh, restructured my recovery schedule a little better.
1: So, with diet, what would you
3: have changed? Uh, well, I would have eaten a lot less. I would have eaten a lot less supplements. I would have eaten a lot more uh, greens and natural foods, um, a lot fresher foods. I would have been a lot more adamant on uh, I, I've kind of changed my ideas, Mike, as, as far as my own body goes for sure, but what I feel best eating. And um, I feel, it, for me, it has a lot more to do with how recently things were picked and how it was grown than actually what I'm eating, if that makes sense.
1: So, I mean, you're – on in terms of supplements, what do you feel are the negatives there? You're saying that you wouldn't take any supplements or that you would just prioritize your focus so it's more on real food?
3: I mean, like I used to take every – I would literally spend $300, $400 a month on supplements. Uh, right. And then, you know, once I got established, then I started getting a lot of stuff for free. And, I mean, I used to take anything and everything. Um. And I would, I, I would probably change up that approach. Um, and, and you know what, too? I, I kind of would look at training a little differently now than I did then.
1: And well, give us the biggest this part on, about nutrition, what I would on nutrition real quick, Dale. Give us an idea of what you're eating now and what you feel are the benefits of that and, and how that would have helped you out, you think, as, as a fighter.
3: Well, I, I take pretty much, I go whatever's in season. I go right to the farmer's market, and, and I live, uh, I, I got two children that I feed, and I feed myself, but, uh, you know, my boys will be gone for three or four days at a time, and I'll be just feeding myself. Um, so I was having a problem with food waste. I, I was not finishing up everything I ate. So what I started doing now, Mike, is I, I freeze a lot of foods. I take foods that very, very fresh, um, straight from local farmer's and uh, I, I, I freeze it almost immediately, and I use it, I use it in that way. I, I drink a lot of shakes because I'm lazy. Uh, I take Hi. them right out of my freezer, and like right now, I, I just had a shake. I put, I put a ton of sprouts, seeds, nuts, chia seeds, uh, spinach, broccoli, asparagus, uh, and then I just blend it up and add a little coconut milk, and um, away I go and what
1: what are what are you feeling? What's the big difference you've noticed since you've switched over to this kind of regimen
3: My recovery is i mean i'm thirty four years old mike i'm I'm about a third of the man i used to be but uh my my recovery and just my sense of well being has uh improved dramatically.
1: So this is a essentially a raw food diet, or it's how is how is how is let's give us give us a a day's breakdown for you. Let's do that. So for example, what are you having for breakfast, lunch, dinner? Assuming it's structured that way, but give us an idea of what a day entails for you.
3: Okay, I'll, I'll tell you exactly. I, and I've been training for a uh, I've been training for a triathlon also, Mike. I'm going to do an Ironman okay. December second. So that keep that in mind with this whole deal, but. Um, I wake up in the morning, and before my feet touch the ground, I I drink one liter of water. Um, I make sure I drink that water immediately. Uh, So then it usually takes me about two two chugs. You know, I'll chug it for a minute, about half, sit there for a second, then I chug the other half. Once I get my feet on the ground, uh, from there, I I don't drink much or eat much throughout the whole day. I usually have a workout somewhere in the morning uh, around 11.00. I usually do some sort of endurance activity. And depending on how strenuous that is, I'll eat during my workout. Um, if it's a long workout, if it's going to be like today, I ran 19 miles barefoot. And, uh, so I, I I eat a little bit of chia seeds. I have some, um, honey and I put a little bit of maple syrup in there and I kind of mix it up, put some water in it. And I, uh, I kind of just sip on that as I'm trucking along, um, Sometimes if it's real hot like today, I will uh, I'll supplement with some minerals uh, just to make sh- just because I I, I get uh, I get depleted with salt because I'm a sweater I sweat some and I'll uh, I'll get depleted and I'll start having performance issues there, but I've been doing some kind of interesting things. I've been monitoring my blood sugar actually. And I've been keeping a fairly close eye. I, uh, I check my blood sugar on a pretty regular basis now during mm-hmm. and after my workouts and before. And uh, I've just been trying to glean some information from that. I'm still in a learning process, Mike, if that makes sense. And then at night, I'll usually eat a ton of fresh greens. I'll have a big meal. I have a shake, just like I described to you. I'll just basically throw in whatever I got for veggies, and it's usually about 10 different veggies. I'll throw a few fruits in there, um, some blueberries or or whatever I I have, and uh, and I'll drink that post-workout. And then at night, I'll have a, a... kind of an Ori style meal, you know, I'll have a big salad. I'll put a lot of nuts, seeds, lentils, um, a lot, I, I change it up, but I have a big meal at night and a uh, couple hours before bed.
1: So no, so no protein powder, no meats, no eggs, no dairy. Nope. This is, this is basically sounds pretty, pretty close to almost a hundred percent raw, but just it's definitely a vegan diet, but primarily a hundred percent raw vegan diet.
3: Yeah, well, you know what? I, I think I, I actually feel better. I, I supplement. You, you're going to think this is crazy, but uh, –
1: <laughs> Just don't I,
3: tell me you drink your
1: own urine point. as a uh, supplement. No, not yet. I haven't come to that yet.
3: Uh, I, I've kind of gone off the deep end, but, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't drink my own urine yet. But I I, I, uh, I eat a lot. For, I have a big old – I have a big garden, too, and uh, – you know, I have a lot of edible stuff around my yard, and I kind of graze on that stuff. I have raspberries, blackberries, blueberries, and, and strawberries all all um, right on my right at my house. And like right now, I got blueberries and raspberries that are uh, perfect. I just I don't know, you know, when I'm outside, I, I'll graze on those throughout the day. So I try and get some fresh stuff. And
1: um, and then how you know, how
3: long, if, how long have you been doing this?
1: How long have you been doing this, Dale? Since you moved back to Maine, or has this been going on for a while?
3: Four months solid, five months maybe. I I I've I eaten pretty close to that for a long time, but I've really really gotten on a lot of uh, variety and a lot of being. I've been really on the fresh aspect of things, trying to eat everything as close as I can to when it was picked, and uh, that's made a big difference. A real, now, this real is a, big difference. A
1: strong focus on real food now. Just playing devil's advocate here, you you fought in a much lighter weight class, right, around 155 pounds. How would would someone who fights as a heavyweight, for example? Would they be able to make this work, what you're doing?
3: That's a great question. I don't know the answer.
1: Um, Because I I can see for endurance
3: and recovery and things like
1: that, because I know quite a few people who do high endurance events, triathlons, things like that. And they do a raw vegan diet, and they feel great on it, and it works very well for them. And I, I could see how it would work for that kind of athletic endeavor. But for someone where there's a certain level of power they have to be able to generate, a certain level of explosive power, for example, I'm curious how you think what you're doing would work for such an individual.
3: Well, I, I still have a lot of questions left unanswered, Mike. And, yeah. and I'll give you, a for instance. Um, I'm learning a lot, uh, and, and there's important aspects as far as plants go. What part of the plant you're eating is probably more indicative of the nutrients you're getting than the actual uh, type of plant even, as odd, odd as that sounds. and What I mean is that, that different plants put their nutrients in different places, whether they're eating the leaf or the stem or the roots. Right. Uh, you're getting a different nutrient balance within that plant. Um, and, and, you know, I, I keep coming to this thing where, where plants all kind of use the same essential building blocks. Uh, you know, there's much more variation with plants than animals. Like when you eat an animal, if you're eating a chicken or a fish or a, a steak, animals are very similar in the breakdown of nutrients, carbohydrate, right. fat, protein ratio. Sure. Different sections of an animal will be different, but but – uh, that's why, for instance, you don't see any specialization of carnivores. You, you, you don't have carnivores that are, are, are specialized to eat a certain type of animal. Does that make sense?
1: So, for example, someone who focuses on eating liver and brain, for example, versus something else. Is that what you're
3: right. getting well, at? Like a, yeah. Yes, like a wolf. Like I'm saying in nature itself, if you look, and, and any animal I, I take a, a look at that's a, a, a carnivore, their stomach structure looks almost exactly the same because there's no, eating animals is easy and it's always going to be the same. Right. But the thing with plants is there's a big variation in plants. And so that's why you see the specialization in herbivores. Like within nature, different animals are, are they, they've changed up their regimen based on the food they're having to digest. And that's because of the, the Variants in nutrients that you're getting from plant life. Right. You see what I'm, you see what yeah. I'm, you see what I'm cooking here? And, and and so, you know, I I think you can really get a lot. If you really got good on, you could really get a lot from plants. And, 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 and I'm not entirely sure that eating whole proteins is, is good for anybody. But I will say that my body type is good for a lighter weight class. Like, my shoulder's junk. Uh, I can't – my shoulder's still not very good. And, um,
1: and just to give people some feedback, Dale, you injured your shoulder fighting professionally. How did you – you had a pretty bad shoulder injury. I think it was similar to what Cain Velasquez had a while back. How did How did that injury happen, and what did well, you do to recover from
3: that? Okay, well, that's, that injury happened um, at first – Probably I, I took a really bad slam in a fight in 2004, I think, and a kid sl- I triangled the kid, and he slammed me a couple four times maybe, and uh, uh, you know I felt fine then, but I, I, I think looking back now that might have been the start uh, of a downhill trend, and then from there I went to double leg a guy in in late 2004, I believe, and I hit his hip with my shoulder. Yeah. And it sent me right to the ground. Like, I would assume now, looking back, I had a separation. And so that was the beginning of my... At, at that point, I went in and got an MRI, and they, they estimated my labrum on my right side was about 20%. Mm-hmm. So at this point, Mike, I I I was lucky. I had a really good doctor and, and you know, all this stuff. And I, I, I think... I'm not sure. It's a tough thing with a labrum because labrum supposedly don't heal. And, and I know from my own experience, they, they are very, very slow to heal. And so when you have a fully torn labrum, you're going to dislocate. Um, maybe it's the range of motion or maybe the amount of stress you put on it. But once you dislocate it, if you hit that same angle again, uh, you're going to dislocate again and even easier that next time and easier the, the, the time after that. Um, well, I ended up with five surgeries on my right arm, and I, I got three on my left arm, um, and uh, all labrum tears, the same as Kane Velasquez said, just like you said. It usually took right. me at least a, a, before I was fighting six months after my labrum surgery, and that was probably too early. I probably should have waited a year and uh, really slowed things down um, as far as my uh, recovery goes. But I'll, I'll say this about recovery, Mike. My biggest thing, my biggest thoughts on recovery is a constant. People need to keep it a constant. Instead of being like, you need to figure out the finish line, and, and you need a nice systematic progression on that. And and I just see so many guys, especially fighters, a lot of fighters are knuckleheads just like me, and we're really headstrong right. people. So we, so we try and get it all done in the first day. Right. Um, and, you, and, and I definitely am a big fan now of a really slow, but very steady, very constant approach to rehab.
1: All right, definitely. Now, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to this nutrition in a second, but just I'm curious to your, your ideas on actually strength and conditioning because you've trained quite a few fighters too. You used to work over at Vandalea Silva's gym out here in Vegas, and I saw you put quite a few people through workouts. So I'm curious what your ideas are on effective strength and conditioning for fighters.
3: Well, I'll tell you this that that I've told you this before, but I think fighting is a, a very, very challenging platform as far as strength and conditioning goes. But at the same time, I think it's also a very, um, it's like an excellent testing ground for strength and conditioning.
4: And and and, right. and the
3: reason I say these things is because MMA requires. So many facets of athleticism. You have to be strong, and you have to have fast twitch muscles. and You have to be powerful, but at the same time, if you have, if your muscles can't, you have to, you you, you have to be able to sustain that work rate. And MMA comes with a certain element of unpredictability, where it's very dependent upon the person you're fighting. Like Mike, if I, if you and I got in the ring together, and you were whooping my butt, uh, my conditioning he's going to take a lot bigger hit than if I'm doing the whooping.
1: Right. Now, I think Carlson Gracie said, and I think Joe Rogan mentioned that Carlton Gracie said that if a black belt in jiu-jitsu gets punched in the face, now he's a brown belt. He gets punched again, now he's a purple belt. Gets yeah. punched again, now he's a brown belt. And like, each, each hit, he keeps getting worse until he's basically nothing well, by the time he's been hit enough.
3: He's actually making a reference to a different phenomenon there, and and okay. and, uh, and and what what happens is is like if you and I are fighting,
4: uh-huh.
3: you dictating the pace. If you're winning the fight, a lot of times you're dictating the pace, and that means you get to set the work rate. Right. And that's a big big advantage. It'd be just like if you and I are working out, and 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 we're doing body weight exercises, push-ups or push ups, or eight count bodybuilders, or something simple. If I get to determine our work rate and our rest rate, I can tailor it perfectly to my body.
1: Right, right.
3: Apparently, you at a disadvantage. You already know this. Like, you know exactly what you need for rest and what percentage of recovery you're going to be at. You instinctually know it. Right. Correct? Yeah. Like, if I said to you, any part of your rest period, Mike, what are you at percentage-wise? You'd have a darn good ballpark. Right, right. So, when you determine the rest, you can know your body. And, and, and that's an advantage. And the other thing is, is, again, yes, it is when I'm getting hit and I'm taking fire. Like imagine if, you put your, if, if, I, if I put gloves on, Mike, and you put your hands up and you let me slug away on you for a minute, all that adrenaline and the response from me hitting you is going to be very taxing on your body also. Definitely. So the pressure and the associated adrenal response and stress is a very challenging environment. Uh, for your body.
0: Yeah, because somewhat you would have the you, you have the more mental advantage, you know, over in this situation over Mike. So therefore, you can kind of, like I said, a little bit be a little bit more relaxed, because okay, you're dictating the pace, whereas it's a little stressful for him because he doesn't exactly understand what's happening at the time, or he's trying to figure out okay, how do I keep him from punching me in the face like this? So it's kind of like it's, it's a little bit more anxiety, you know, on that side. If it well, was, you
3: know. oh, go ahead. Absolutely. Absolutely, But the, the important fact here is that it, it, it is that exactly like you said, but kind of a, it, when I'm winning the fight, I can get into this nice groove. And what happens is, is my heart rate goes down. I get into that. I, I call it an ideal performance state. Mm-hmm. And, and what you're doing with an ideal performance state is I, I see certain indicators. And that's that guys are relaxed. They're having fun and they're confident. When you see guys with those three things, that usually means they're performing at their ideal level
2: mm-hmm.
3: as an athlete. Now, it, 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 now when I'm the guy losing, A, I'm having to do more work uh, because I am having to deal with, A, the stress of the fire. I'm having to deal with the stress of not dictating the pace, and I'm having to deal with damage. All three of those things greatly impact my conditioning. Now, there's a mental aspect, and even you see it time and time again with fighting. Just because a guy is losing a fight doesn't mean he's mentally losing, and, and and I hate to see it, but I see it with a lot of guys that they're very durable um, fighters, and so they'll go in there knowing that they're going to have to take a beating for uh, a number, a, a large number of the time frame. But what they're counting on is that that guy's going to burn himself out.
0: Yeah, the rope and dope so technique, like Muhammad Ali, you know. <laughs> e-
3: ex-er- expertly performed, my friend. Expertly performed. And that's it. You know what? When he fought Fraser, he he didn't want to deal with his power, and I can't blame him there. You know, so he wanted to to he wanted Fraser's power to get, you know, obviously uh, get that toned down. And I'll tell you another interesting fact that you can think about since here Mike's seen this effect. I've shown him in a sense with the workouts that I put guys through. When you're tired, your reaction time is greatly slowed.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Oh no so, question. You know, yeah, you know I always like tell my folks, you know, don't let fatigue make you sloppy. Don't let fatigue turn you into a punk, you know, because then you kind of second guessing and you you kind of just really think like, okay, do I, do I keep going? Am I really tired? And the demons start talking. And when the demons start talking, you start listening and you get slow because you're, you're paying attention to the conversation instead of just, you know, going through it. And just like, it's almost to the point where they're at the point where they're not even enjoying anymore. I was telling myself, you know what? Just smile and wave, just keep going and <laughs> just smile at it. Cause guess what? At the end of the day, it's gonna be over soon. It's not like it's gonna keep. It's not keep going or whatever. Just smile and keep moving. And you can't. It can't suck if you're smiling. So as a, even if you can't do it on the outside, do it on the inside. Just keep moving. Don't sit there and listen to those demons or whatever, because it's gonna slow you down. And when you slow down, you think like, damn, dude. It's like okay, I'm I'm losing them. My energy's going away. <laughs> so it's just the demons start talking, man. So yeah, I, I get it. Well,
3: okay. Well, you know what? You you you're on this. You're, you're onto it right there, but. But there's a little bit... Uh, okay, the demons are... I, I look at the demons uh, as as kind of an early progression of mental toughness. Mm-hmm. Like, you learning to deal with the demons... And obviously, uh, Frank Mears said this to me one time. It's kind of interesting. He's like, every guy, no matter how tough, you put their hand on a stove, and eventually they're going to pull away.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know? But the question becomes... Okay, so like demons... Let's say demons is step one of the transition. The The, the really beautiful thing about mental toughness is when I truly get mentally tough, I can take myself and be in an, uh, a, a poor uh, performance state. And and, and and I'm doing things exactly like you're talking about. I'm smiling. I'm keeping my body posture. I'm keeping my... Everything in my body and my posture on the outside is saying, I'm here. I'm ready. I want to fight. And, and just by me I, I really I, – I tell my guys a lot, fake it till you got it. And if you're not feeling it, you feel like crap, you know what? Your face, it says I'm confident, it says I'm relaxed, and it says I'm having fun. And I tell them to pretend like they're a dang actor. They're mm-hmm. in a, a TV show, and I don't give a shit what you really – Oh, excuse me. I don't give a oh, – You can you you cuss really on the show. You no, can say shit thought. on Let this flow. show. <laughs> <laughs> Let it flow. Hey, but, you know, and, and, and I tell them, and, you know, uh, it's a matter – the great athletes, in my opinion, great fighters, are the guys who who uh, stay in that ideal performance state. And even when they're not in that ideal performance state, you wouldn't know it by looking at them. Right. How many times have you seen Anderson Silva's face say, "I don't want to fight"? How many times have you seen John Jones's face say, "I don't <laughs> want to fight"? Well, we saw
1: we saw Anderson we saw Anderson Silva's face say he didn't want to fight a couple of weeks ago when his when his eyes were rolled in the back of his head. As a quick, as a quick, as a quick segue though, Dale, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but just as a quick segue, I just want to make sure I ask you this: What do you think of that whole fight, the Weidman Silva fight? What do you, what's, what's your assessment of, of what you think what happened there? Well, the
3: first and foremost thing I, I, I like to point out to everybody is that Silva's a 38-year-old athlete. Right. Um, the statist- right, exactly. the statistical numbers on guys, depending on the individual and depending on the wear and tear and whatnot. You know, 24, I think, is the is the beginning of the end.
1: <laughs>
2: but do you, you know, do you think do you think,
1: do you think age was a factor? Because Silva's been, I mean, I thought he looked great in that fight, honestly, until he got knocked out. I mean, my assessment is he just he played a dangerous game and and got knocked out for it. So if I think if he if he trained, I mean I'm and this is just a guy who's a fan of UFC. I don't claim to be any kind of expert, you know, on this kind of stuff. I've I've never fought in the UFC. You're or very old. Yeah, but just as a fan watching, uh, my assessment is that he had his hands down and was goofing around and he got clipped. And I think he he looked great before that though. I thought his his defense on the ground looked good. I mean, he look. He looks very. He doesn't move like a guy who's 38, like Dana White always says. He looks very athletic. He moves well. So I, it's not like it's not like he looked different in this fight than any other fight he's been in, in my opinion. I think he just played a strategy that just didn't well, work out
3: for him. Well, now, I mean, here's my question to you though. Uh, where were all these people in the uh, you know the 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 15 fights before that he won using that same exact deal. Yeah, I was just
0: about to say that. I was about to say, I I think there was a, like Mike and I have talked about this. My opinion of that fight was just totally, I think at this point, after seven years of being undefeated as a champ, okay, being here for seven years, and now you're 38. And, of course, you know, almost every fight there's always talk about, oh, the retirement, you know you're leaving this legacy, which the legacy is there. trust me, his legacy did not dissipate after that 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 loss, no, but no you know and my thing is it was one of those situations where, okay, maybe this is just my opinion, it needed to happen a not just so much most people say, yeah, because his ego needed to be checked and blah blah blah. you know that's the easy thing to, to pick out in this situation, but a also b also to give himself a break. there's a lot of pressure to be that effing great okay it's a lot of pressure and there's there's a lot of sacrifice to be great so it's one thing to sacrifice to get the title once but to sacrifice and continue to defend that title 11 12 you know 13 times and things like that a lot of things are being sacrificed personal life you know with his family and things like that there comes a point where i mean you even see it with you know professional wrestlers not True wrestling, we're talking entertainment wrestlers. You know, these guys sacrifice their families because they're on the road 285 days a year performing, and they do this for years. You got some guys have been doing this for 30, 40 years. Can, so you can just and look how many divorces they've had. You know, look how many estranged relationships they have with their children. So, we, of course, in the fight game, the real fight game, these guys are not afforded that luxury like some of these wrestlers have. We, you know they can go three and four decades of doing this, and so they have a shorter window. So the thing is, you're still losing a lot of time, so you're sacrificing a lot. So now the thing is, you, you know it wears and tears on you, especially if you are that good father and that good husband, and you know you're hearing it. No matter how much money you're making, how many sponsorships or whatever, dude, at the end of the day, your, your kids don't give a shit that you're the champ. Your wife doesn't give a damn that you're the champ. It's like, you're daddy, you know, you're a husband, and we need you here. So I just think that, in my opinion, I think that he was tired and he needed a break, <laughs> and mentally, something subconsciously said, you know, <laughs> the cockiness was there, but it was a way for him to go out and it wasn't like he threw the fight it's just like it was just a part of him that says like you know if I can get away with it like I've always got away with it cool and then I'll still go continue my legacy if not so be it and guess what I'll come back because I know I'm that good I have that confidence and belief in myself that's why I wasn't even buying that at the press conference he's like Wyman's your champion respect your champion I'm not gonna fight for the belt blah blah blah. I'm like nah, dude because this is what you do (laughs) it's in your (laughs) blood it's just like it's hard you've had that belt for a freaking seven years, dude, you, you're not just going to give up like that. You, trust me, you just need a break. And even Dana said, you know, he's like, I just want to go and, you know, and it's like, I just want to be with my family. You know, I just want to take some time out. And Dana even said at the press conference, he's like, I can respect that. <laughs> okay. And that's why four days later, okay, rematch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, exactly. Didn't they take like, long for that. that.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, man. Yeah, but that's just, that's my opinion what? of that. Dale. So you know. Like, you know, how do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, I'd
1: love to hear what you have to say about it.
3: Uh, well, here, here <clears throat> first off, you know, the thing you have to remember, and I hate to say it, but a lot of times, I, I, and I see it in life in general, but a lot of these guys I know, that ability to balance personal and work or fighting mm-hmm. in this case, their their extreme ability to balance that is the reason they're successful. And, okay. and I, I have a slight suspicion that every single person in Anderson Silva's when he says, I'm going to the gym, nobody in his life says a word or they wouldn't be in his life.
2: Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Definitely. And I know exactly definitely.
3: what you're saying. And does that make you a second rate father in a way? Absolutely. And, and a lot of these guys are going to justify it and they're going to say, you know, I got to make what I can make and I'm, being a good father that way.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, but I feel, I feel very strongly that Anderson, he doesn't fight very frequently. Uh, I think he stays in good shape all the time, and he seems to be having a good time. I see mm-hmm. him in the gym, and I see videos of him training, and he has a lot of fun, man, and he's still having a great time. I don't think he was burned out, personally. Um, maybe a bit, and how could he not be burned out? But... Uh, I think he lost to Weedman. He made a mistake. MMA is a game of millimeters. And you know what? If he was 30 years old, would his reaction have been faster? I think so. Yeah, the question point. I have, the question I have, I mean, since I say this all the time to Mike, MMA is a game of millimeters.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Small mistakes can really cost you. And it's like Anderson said, one step back. If he'd taken one step back, he would have been fine. Right. But now, I look at Anderson, and, and the thing about Anderson to me is I see a guy that has amazing vision. The guy very, very rarely gets hit and doesn't realize he's getting hit. Right. That make, and, and because of his extreme defense, he has great confidence, and he picks guys apart. He always takes them a little bit, he figures them out, and he picks them apart. And the other thing is, is Anderson ha- came into the UFC with a lot of losses and some pretty embarrassing and bad fights. Uh, you know, he pretty much got booted out of pride. Right. Because of but, and and, and, you know, and I got to be honest, man, I I think Anderson's not one of those guys that really likes losing very much. And um, I have a slight suspicion that those, I I don't know what he had, four losses, I think, going into the weekend fight. Uh, You know, and I, I watched all of them, but you know, those four losses, three of them legitimate. He didn't like that at all you know and I I really 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 think he doesn't like losing I think he's got an ego the size of California (laughs) and uh, I think (laughs) how could he not yeah exactly how could he not without uh, without, you know and and I'll say I mean I I think Anderson's really I I was lucky enough to fight the same night as Anderson my UFC UFC debut and he fought James Irving that night yeah yeah, yeah, sure uh, I remember that I can tell you the funniest story, though, was that uh, (laughs) I was at the pool at the Palms, like before the weigh-ins with Marcus, Uh and uh, and he looked, it was like after we weighed in, James Irving went to the pool, and uh, Marcus is like, what the hell is he doing at the pool? And we look at him like, he can't go to the pool, you know, I was kind of confused, and he's like, that dude should be up in his room right now shitting his pants. (laughs) And and, and, he, and you know he was just joking or whatever. And, and James Irving's a good guy and all that. But but uh, but you know what? I, I always found Anderson to be very humble and uh, and and really respectful. But the one point I want to make real quick with Anderson and, and him and his age is that I think he's going to be a case like Roy Jones Jr. And I, I, I suspect that Anderson relies very heavily on his reaction time. And uh, I think when we see the decline of Anderson Silva, if he doesn't retire very fast, uh, he's going to, he's going to, uh, uh, as soon as he starts taking more shots, then his career, he's in a lot of trouble. Yes, that makes kinda, sense. Like reaction, yeah, it's yeah, kind of right. like what happened with Chuck. It's kind like what
0: happened with Chuck. It was like, after that, fir- no, like after that first knockout with Rashad, it just seems like, you know, just everything went downhill. It's just like you can't keep, I mean, even we see with Big Nog, and, you know, every now and then he'll, he'll come back. But, dude, it was for a while. There it was just knockout after knockout after knockout. It's like, oh, dude. it was
2: brutal, it, man. I was just it, talking to I mean, someone like, about that yesterday. You're begging, brutal. like,
0: please don't fight anymore. And same yeah. thing with Chuck. You know, and that last <laughs> one with Rich Franklin was like, okay, please, Dana, you got to make a call. <laughs> this dude's eyes are rolling on the top of his head like the last three fights. That's not good. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, it, was,
1: it was kind of sad to watch that. It was like he got knocked out by Quentin Jackson. And. That just seemed like okay. He can come back from that. He had a tough loss against Jardine, but yeah. he didn't look he didn't look too bad. It just didn't seem like he had a good the strategy. The first time
3: he lost to Quinton, the
1: first time or the second? Uh huh. No, the I'm second, talking about the second time. The, in the second. UFC, in you the UFC. Where he got knocked out. In the yeah. Time. First first yeah. time that was a, that was like a back and forth. I mean, Quinton Jackson won, but that that was a great fight in the pride. Yeah. And then and then it just seemed like what what sincere said. He just got knocked out by everybody. Like Rashad just touched him, knocked out, and then. Uh, Shogun knocked him out, and yeah. then and then Rich Franklin, who doesn't knock out anyone, he doesn't he, knock anyone, <laughs> knocked him out. And oh, it's it just seemed that each, each time he got knocked out, it was much easier for him to get knocked out, and it it, it was just kind of it was kind of hard to watch. And and I like Chuck Liddell a lot. I think he's a great fighter. I think he's a really cool guy. It was, it was just, as a fan, you just didn't want to see him get knocked out like yeah. that. I think, in the
0: you result. know, for guys, at, you know, our age, man, our generation is like, you know, some of us, we got to see those Saturday night fights, you know, with Ali in the late 70s and things like that. And you saw that same decline, you know, and, and even if you're not from that generation, you can go watch the movie, you know, and see pretty much how, what happened with that. And that's, it's, it was pretty much the same thing. It's like, we didn't learn from one of the greatest of all time. And, and now we see what the results were, you know, from that. Just keep trying to fight, keep trying to fight, and and you know just kind of not cashing in your chips, you know when the getting was good, and you know now we see it played it's it's played a big part in his health now, and so you definitely don't want to see that with these fighters as well, and yeah, some of these guys like they don't have such a long career like a lot of boxers do or things like that, but that makes it even more dangerous right there for the fact their careers aren't that long. That means. There's a lot going into a small amount of time, <laughs> so that means right. the impact's a little bit harder and not as drawn out. So you just don't want to see these guys going out like that. And of course, right. yeah, they do everything they can to protect these fighters, but still, you know, you, you still have these guys in their mind. Like, I gotta eat, I gotta fight, I'm gonna take a fight anywhere you know I can. And I'm starting to see that now with a lot of guys who who got cut from the UFC. They're kind of fight. They're fighting in just about any organization. It seems like they're fighting like every other month, <laughs> and it's just like wow, you know, just like okay. I know they're trying to build their stats back up so they can come back to the UFC, but I'm like, dude, you're not going to be able to come back to the UFC, especially, you know, you're doing all these other smaller fights, like, every other month, so. Right.
3: Well, a lot of times, though, they're fighting really inferior opponents.
0: True. I will agree with that. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, it's almost and, like a smoker and, and, fight.
3: You know, well, there's a couple of things. You just went over, like, a thousand points, but I really want to reiterate <laughs> on two things. Uh, one, <laughs> <laughs> One is that head trauma is is a, is, is very. Um, I just feel they don't know very much about it. They don't understand the workings of the brain very well, and right. the effects of every individual concussion is very hard to measure.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: I know guys that will have 25 concussions and be fine. They get 26 and it just about cripples them. Wow. You 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 never know. Every Just don't know when the tipping point's going to be. Yeah. Yeah, and and so what happens is is is, is a number. There's a uh, we could go all day on the negative effects from head trauma, but the two things like with Chuck Waddell, in my opinion, is that you have a great re- reduction in the reaction time of the reaction, fighters. Yeah. So, so Chuck's going to start. He, he's going to start taking shots that he wouldn't have taken before. Mm-hmm. He's slower pulling the trigger on his own punches. So he's less dangerous than he was before. Three, the big thing is, is he is more susceptible. Shots he could have taken before, he can't take anymore. They're gonna knock him out. Mm-hmm. You lose your chin every time you get knocked out. Uh, you're gonna, you're. It's gonna be easier the next time. Right. <clears throat> but, but here's the one other thing I want to say real quick, sincere is that. You know, when we're sitting here and we're, we're talking about a guy, we have to remember that that, that guy is a guy, mm-hmm. he's an individual. And what I mean by that is you're a guy, and and, and, and these guys that fight, and I'm one of them, and, and, and I'm trying to be a reformist or whatever, but we're all alpha males. Nobody fights that isn't an alpha male.
2: Mm-hmm. And pretty
3: much nobody fights in the UFC that doesn't have an ego the size of California. You right. think you're the baddest dude on the planet? And I don't know about all these other guys, but I, I, I was always willing to work like hell, and I was always willing to, to throw down. And that meant I threw down a lot in gyms, and I threw down a lot of times when people weren't looking. And I took a lot of shots in those time frames. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I think a lot of guys end up taking their head trauma in training. And kinda it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to right.
1: avoid that, though, right? Isn't that? I mean, that's that's kind of an essential essential ingredient of training is that you have to make it as close to a real fight as possible. So doesn't that kind of go with the whole territory? Isn't that? Yeah,
0: because I kind game. It throws me off. Like when some of these fights get canceled because someone gets injured during training, and you know, you'll hear Dana and those guys go, you know, we got to do something about you know when these guys are preparing for a fight. And I'm like, well, how's that even going to be possible? Because you want to get as close to you know, yeah. the real thing is possible. Like how are you gonna like pull back 40 percent right. and then you go into a fight and this dude's coming at you with everything he's got. Right. How do you prepare
1: for
3: a fight without <laughs> fighting? Right. <Yeah. laughs> I mean,
0: what did you play you play <laughs> on Xbox? What
3: the hell? <laughs> I can't uh I, I don't know specifically where the quote came from, but that yeah. sounds like something he might have said in regards to fighter insurance. Right, right. Actually. <laughs> and uh and that was a big point of keeping guys healthy was that before, you'd have a lot of guys, especially guys that fought on the undercard, and they'd make good money when they fought. Up until that fight, like, there's a story, like Pat Barry. he won a, 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 one night, he won two bonuses. I mean, it was like 200 and something grand he he made. Mm -hmm. Before that fight, he was literally eating ketchup and rice. (laughs)
2: Wow.
3: (laughs) And this is right out of his mouth. Like, I kid you not, he, he said he was eating ketchup packets and rice. Like this dude is hard up,
4: you know what I'm saying? Like, so you see that.
3: So you you see a guy like that, right? And he's going to go in the gym and he's going to work through getting hurt. He's not going to get medical attention. He's not going to go to a chiropractor. He's not going to go to a massage therapist. He's not going to do, he's not going to go to the hormone doctor, get some TRT. He's, He's not, you know, and all of these things, uh, end up with a guy that's going to stay healthier a much higher percentage right. see what I mean and, and, yeah. and, and you know there's a balance there but, but and that's why I think some guys you, you you see a much longer career out of them because they, they really do a good job of staying healthy and keeping mm-hmm. themselves in, in top who's shape a, who's, an example, who's an example of that who's fighting now
1: you think that's someone that you know Anderson Silva. Okay, so you I mean his, our, his his training? I mean his. I don't. I don't know anything about his nutrition regimen or his restoration regimen. Are, are you pretty familiar with his whole camp? His whole no. camp?
3: Nope. I wouldn't have a clue what Anderson Silva eats. I. I, I know he said. So you're just you're just he, guessing because he all that. Then. Because for all we know, he's yeah, genetically
1: gifted you where know, but he goes to McDonald's. I know he used to work. Well, at McDonald's. well he's talking about Burger thing, King, stuff. so you know. Yeah, yeah, Burger King. That's it. Not McDonald's. <laughs> exactly. So I mean, he used to work there. That's kind of his background story that they always like to they like to break up is how he used to work there in Brazil. So for all we know, he's just a genetic he's genetically gifted, and he goes there for hamburger, French fries, and milkshakes after each training session. You know, because I've never I've never I really mean. seen any info about his nutrition regimen or his strength and conditioning regimen or or really anything he does, honestly.
3: Well, and you have to remember, Mike. So many guys lie through their teeth about all that stuff. No, you're they right. I it's right. Yeah. <laughs> I know tons of guys. They're like, yeah, I eat this and that and this. Right, and right, this. right, right, right. <laughs> That's so and true.
1: So true.
3: Hey, and it, I mean, heck, everybody does that. You, you, how many, th- how th- many have people have you had, like, do three-day diet for you? Like, okay, write down everything you've eaten for the the, the, last, the last three days. Yeah, no one follows you know, with that, yeah. Next, yeah. With the next three days. And they're like, oh, I've been eating every one of them is a superfood, like, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and uh uh you know, but the thing is is I, 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 I gotta be honest, I don't care how genetically gifted you are, guys that are genetically gifted but don't get proper nutrition, they just uh, you never see those guys have long careers. Never. Yeah. I'm I'm sure, right. I'm just, sure. I mean these are
1: professional athletes, you have to take that stuff seriously. Yeah.
3: And, and, and you know what? Again, you can't eat crap. I don't care how genetically gifted you are. You cannot eat crap and stay healthy. You cannot eat crap and stay in shape. Your body will not let you. You cannot sustain that work rate. It's just, I don't think so. And I'll tell you something else too, Mike. I, I think that just the amount of hard work that goes into MMA, uh, it ages you.
1: Yeah, I'm sure. Right, yeah.
0: I mean, training, you what, know, three, four hours a day? you know, pretty much I can just imagine what the sleep patterns are really like. And it,
1: it's, it's, such a, it's such a harsh training because so many people, I always hear people kind of joking around going, oh, you know, I, I, I saw this MMA guy doing kettlebell swings and he was only using this much weight. You know, I use so much more. You know, maybe I should start training MMA, haha and then make <laughs> a joke. But it's, it's kind of like, look, man, there's a big difference between me swinging around a kettlebell by myself in my in my home gym and me going to a gym and someone's trying to punch my head off, yeah, <laughs> you know, somebody, <laughs> so throwing
0: kicks at my head,
1: you know, Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Even, even <laughs> if you just go do like Muay Thai, like you go to, you go take a Muay Thai lesson and have a guy hold pads for you. I mean, if you've never done that before, oh, you want to talk about resistance. Just oh my the God. Pads, I mean, I mean and that's where I,
0: you know, and that's where I trained for a while. And just the first time to sit there and have a whole pad someone and they're just coming at you with all cylinders and kicking that thing, and that shit is going across it and slicing. <laughs> I mean, you have to sit there and brace yourself. I'm like, okay, you can sit and lie on your back and do crunches all day long. You want to get a core exercise, you sit there and you hold these freaking pads. And, you know, embrace yourself and try not to get knocked the F down. Okay, so. Yeah, it's,
4: it's such a a difference. different.
1: It's such a difference. I mean, just not, just doing pad work where you're not even getting hit. I mean, you're even sweating. that is
0: like what the hell? Yeah. Why am I sweating so much?
1: <laughs> right. I mean, even that is. If you've never done it before, I mean, you're you're ridiculously smoked after. So I mean, if you're if you're doing that and someone's trying to hit you, yeah. I, I and then every day that's your life, no doubt. That's going to age you real fast. <laughs> yeah, man.
3: Well, hey, you know what? I could give you this. This this is what we could do for an example right here. Is that I. Like, if you guys went to the gym right now, okay, and if if I just said, Mike, you do uh, battling ropes for one minute, and Sincere, you do battling ropes for one minute, and I had you guys doing them separately, correct? Okay. Mm-hmm. If You guys would work hard, because you guys are hard workers, and you would burn, let's say, I don't know, we won't even come up with a number, but let's say we just X amount for calories, what do you think the number would be if I put you guys on the either end of the battling ropes and you guys are competing as to whose wave is further to the other person? Oh, yeah. Does that it's make not, sense? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah I know. I've done that
0: before. And it's it's a it's a different ball game than sitting there, you know, looping the rope through a kettlebell or through a hook and doing it by yourself. But when you have somebody, like, right. adding the resistance and fighting you with it, you know, it's a big difference because other things go factor in there as well because not only are you trying to, like, against their resistance or it'll flow with their resistance, you're also, that mental aspect comes in there because you're thinking like, well, damn, is he trying to get the best of me? Again, those voices start talking. So then the ego kicks in, well, so a whole different level of anxiety is kicking in through that training for that one minute. That right. one minute seems like five. <laughs>
3: so, yeah, and, man. And, and back to the whole thing, I mean, truthfully, again, guys that are super good MMA fighters are inherently alpha males mm-hmm. and they're egomaniacs. Yeah. So you get a guy and I'll say right now, I'm the biggest knucklehead you've ever seen. I've done the dumbest things in my life, uh, repeatedly, <laughs> time and time again. Because if you're like, you can't. You know, do I that. was I what? was there a couple
1: of times when Dale did some of those things. <laughs> we, we won't mention that on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, I'm kidding,
3: hey, folks, so,
4: I'm so, uh,
3: so, so they these so these uh, <laughs> so if we get two guys and. and they have these huge egos, and they're alpha males, and they're like, I will break my leg to beat a, a five-year-old in a bicycle race. These are the kind of people we're dealing with. <laughs> you get them on those ropes, and then you basically take that for two hours. You know what I mean? Like, here, we'll do five-minute rounds for two hours.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and, you know, that's that, the fact that you're competing against each other, that's the part that makes you work hard, I think.
2: Yeah. Oh, no doubt,
3: no doubt. I mean,
1: just having people over to my house and we get these group workouts in, that's going to push everyone more so than if each of us were training alone at the same time. So there's there's no doubt about it. But, I mean, what do you think a fighter can do to really help have longevity? What should what should a fighter be doing every week, every day even, to help restore, help recover, and, and help sustain a long career?
3: Well, I... I'll tell you that I I really like a lot, and I think you know – I like the guy, Mark Vesterberg. Yeah, I think he puts out a lot of really good stuff.
0: He's out in Arizona, right? Go ahead. Yeah.
3: Yeah, I don't know. He's got a place in California, Florida, Arizona. I I don't know where he uh, Mm. – he was originally Arizona. I don't know where he actually resides. Uh, You know, he's kind of – Whatever, but he has this concept of prehab, and it's absolutely fantastic. And I think a lot of that prehab stuff and your ability to know your body is the key to longevity. You need to know when it it's needs to rest versus, I mean, you have to know the difference between, we'll call it uncomfort growth, and you can't have growth without being uncomfortable. Right. And at the same time, you've got to be able to balance that with staying healthy. Mm-hmm. and 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 you know i think a uh, a really good gradual progression system i think that guys have a lot of success with that and and you know it's like in uh, i'm sure both of you guys we will, you know if if i go up day 1 and then i go up day 2 and then i go down one so then i go up one up one down one up up you know what I'm saying like if it was like a set of stairs and then every yeah. now and again I'm dropping way back down the stairs but I'm making really minimal gains I'm not going 100% all the time and I'm keeping my body super healthy but I'm making constant progression right I I, I think that progression schedule is is really fundamental um you know and 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 and, and, I think and, that's
1: a I think yeah, that's a good right. lesson for anyone, honestly. I think a lot of people are just way too impatient with any yeah. training regiment. And I'm not even talking about fighters now, just regular Joe, where they they want to come in and crush it from day one and kill it every day for 90 days and, and make this magical transformation, but they're not going to last. They're going to come in and try to crush it, and then they're going to be beat up for a week, have to take a week off. And like you said, that, that gradual progression is a smart way to go, but it seems that people have a very difficult time having the discipline to do that because they get very impatient.
0: Yeah, that carries over I mean even in business, you know, same right, thing. Exactly. Everybody wants to come in the first day and make six figures and yeah. they haven't put in. I, I hear print. that all the time. And, and one thing people need to understand, think about gradual progression is the key word progression. No matter whether right. it's slow or quick, it's progression. That means you're still moving forward. <laughs> so, and I think they overlooked that. So, and like you said, it's just the patience thing, man.
1: So more so more periodization, Dale, more of a systematic approach where, let's say, you have a fight coming up in three months and you gradually peak that athlete so that he's not burned
3: out going well, in. hey, And even a grander picture than that, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times the peaking schedules are too big and too low. I, right. I, I think a much smaller variation with your peak. And what I mean by that is pretty much I think guys shouldn't be going like, okay, absolutely, like, everybody deserves their, their downtime, and your nervous system is a big part of this. And right. your your nervous system is really hard to gauge. You know, how shot your nervous system is, is is, is tough to say, if that makes any sense.
2: It's so you got to have that
3: downtime. But you, the thing is, is when you're having that downtime, you, you should physically still be chipping away. And even if you're doing enough to maintain, but you should never, basically the whole game of a lot of guys, I literally kid you not, they will fight and then they'll go out for a month straight and they will be drunk as skunks eating McDonald's. Like, they'll go, they'll, a lot of them, you know, they'll go back into the gym and they'll be, they'll be sparring and, and whatnot, but they are eating like crap. They're sleeping like crap and they're, I think that's a big mistake yeah i know a guy day. i know a guy
1: used to do that dale what was his name dale hart Yeah,
3: he was notorious for that <laughs> yeah and, and you know what like and 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 that's exactly that is absolutely the truth you've never seen anybody drunker than when i would lose <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's gotta
3: that, i gotta ask you that
1: that's gotta be how much of a how, how, how does that affect you emotionally after a tough loss? I mean, is, just, is that, I, obviously, it's a downer, so I know the answer to that question, but just, I, I always wonder that about a fighter because you prepare for such a long time for this one night. Well, and then you go in there, and even... let, let's say it's just a bad loss, like you just got clipped in the first 30 seconds because you made some mistake. I mean, that, that's got to just be really tough. It's got to be a rough night and a rough couple of days, weeks, even to really get your head straight after that. You
3: you know, Mike, I I would hope that that I've had a little more age and experience and I could handle it a little better. But you're missing out on the whole point. I can tell you from my point of view, maybe Mm -hmm. other guys are different, but from my point of view, I could care less about all the work and all that crap. I don't even care about that. I just hate to lose. Got it. And I lost to Shannon Gugardy, okay, in, in July of 2009. And, and I had four weeks to prepare. I came in there. I was in good shape. Uh, you know, I was nervous. I had a lot of the UFC jitters and whatnot. But uh, he ended up taking my back. He, you know, I, went, I just dumb stuff in a chain of dumb events he <laughs> Takes my back. It, you know, he caught this kick, and he took me down. And uh, I was like, you know what? I thought in my head I was like, you know what, I'm gonna roll the I'm gonna roll the quarters and stand up. And I thought, a lot of the guys I had trained with were 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 punchers. They weren't jujitsu guys. They weren't grapplers. They weren't guys that like to hop on your back. They'd rather slug you in the face. So I was like, you know what, this clown's gonna hit me in the face a couple times and I'm gonna be up on my feet. Well, as I'm climbing up on my feet, he hops on my back like a gnat. And uh, and Shannon was a really he was a Dean Lister black belt and he was a he was a good jujitsu guy, but. You know, he ended up choking me unconscious, and it took like two minutes. But I literally think about that every single day. There's never – I don't think there's ever been a day since that went by that I don't think about him beating me. And I I, I wish – and it's, it's even more annoying in this situation. I wish so bad. I followed him around. That poor guy, he was so classy and so graceful. I followed him around that night. I went and got a big wad of cash, like five grand. And I followed him around the whole night, and I, I told him if he'd give me another shot in the parking lot, you could keep the money either way. Huh. I was like, I was offering that guy my car. Like, everything <laughs> I had in my life, if he would give me another shot. And, and, you know, all that says, Mike, is that I am really competitive, and I always had a hard time losing, but, you know, I'm just a shallow twit is all there is to it. But... Uh, <laughs> you know i i always just have a really hard time losing and i'm not I, a great I, loser i think great i think you
1: loser. made it, you made it really i think i mean it it kind of makes a lot of sense though right i mean for someone to be really good you have to really hate losing and that when you do have a loss you you're, you're going to come back somewhat. like someone like anderson if everything if, if everything you're saying about him is accurate which most likely it is he's he's probably right now thinking i can't wait to get back in there right and just destroy this dude because uh, oh yeah he just hates losing. I mean, he comes off like he's old casual in the press conference, like, no, you know, Chris is champion. I'm gonna go hang out now with family. But but right he's now, brilliant. there's probably yeah, there's probably a fire burning in him right now, which will not be quelled until December when that rematch occurs. And yeah. I mean, my, my my I think he's gonna go in there and and just destroy. I think I think a lot of people are counting Anderson out now, which which to me is laughable. The guy was, like, the guy was dominant for so long. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> he he loses one time and people are like, oh, he's done. He's done. He's finished. It's
3: like, come on, folks. I'll say two things. One, I wouldn't want to be Chris Wiedman. I'll say yeah. that right now. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm not envious of that man or his position. Right now, he's going to bed at night, crapping his pants. Either he's got an ego. Either he's like this crazy dude and doesn't know what planet he's on, or he's going to bed every night going,
0: What have I got dude, myself into? <laughs> well, I
3: mean, for,
1: all
2: we know,
3: he's, for all we know, he's thinking he's going to do it again, though. You know, who knows? Yeah. Hey, I'll tell you right now, if it was me and I was Chris Weidman and his coach, dude, I would totally fake like a knee injury, right, the night before the fight <laughs> and try and extend Anderson out as much as I could. <laughs> and give him like another three months to burn out. So <laughs> hopefully he's so hard, he ends up having this burnout. I try and get him then if, Get him on a decline, you know. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that
0: almost sounds like something Masera would probably tell him to do to get in his head too.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but but you know, but but you know, uh, no, a- again, no Anderson, a- Anderson is like this consummate professional, and he's always on point, man. And he, and he does; he stays in great shape. You never see that guy fat.
1: No, never, never.
3: And you know, I, I know other guys too. And 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 Gray Maynard, you know, Mike and I trained with him for a little bit at, at Philippi Sports. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I I always said that like Gray is a workhorse man. He's rock solid.
4: Not that true. guy's
3: always shows up to the gym. He's always ready. He's 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 got his everything. He's got a checklist of what he needs to do to be ready. And he's always there and he's always ready. You know what I mean? Oh, definitely. Yeah. now and it was I cool, man. Was it really was cool. it was a lot
1: of fun working at Mark's Gym because of that. Because that's that's actually where I met Dale, and we we had some inter, we had some email exchanges before that, but we never really met in person until I started coming in there and training, and that was such a fun. I was environment. a smaller
3: fan in like 03
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm honored. No, but I mean, it, it was such a fun environment to be in at Mark's because you would be there. I would be there. You, you'd see people like Gray Maynard working out hard. I mean, who's not going to come in there and push it when you're in that environment? Right. And then on top of that, you'd see these high school girls at Mark's training banging out 11 pull-ups, yeah. you know, with good form and you know, just crushing it. So, I mean, you, you might have one of those days where you're walking into his gym and you're like, oh, I don't really feel like pushing it today because you know what's in store. And then the second you walk in and you feel that, you're like, all right. I'm not going to be that guy. He makes fun of because that's the thing about Mark is he makes fun of people to no end. Not if you're weak in terms of how much you can lift and do, but if you just come in there with that kind of attitude where you're just half-assing it, and he'll be like, "What are you doing? It's like, see that little girl over there doing eight pull-ups? <laughs> you know, things like that." Oh. So I mean, it was, it was a it's a really fun environment to work out in. Though I mean, you want to talk about taking your training to the next level. If you're if you're someone who lives in Vegas and you're thinking. I just need an extra kick in the ass. I mean, go over to PSI and sign up for a couple months, and you'll get it. You'll have a great time doing it, too.
3: Yeah. Hey, I, I love Mark Phillippe. And I'll tell you this sincere. I want to tell you this story. And, and Mike, Mike's going to laugh, and he's going to know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> but he had this thing called the Rolling Thunder, and it's basically – you've seen one before sincere.
0: Sounds familiar, man. I'm...
3: It's a grip. It's just basically a piece of PVC pipe. And you run a chain through it and hang away from it. Oh, you know, yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah. Brutal. Huge, it's yeah. Brutal for my grip. So I, I don't even know what I had for weight on there. It wasn't much, I'll tell you that. And uh, I have little hands, and they're very arthritic from lots of broken fingers, <laughs> and I have a weak grip. Okay? Uh, and
1: so. <laughs> I he does have small heads. Dale's heads are...
0: <laughs> <bingy
2: hands.
3: laughs> I never noticed it until he put it up. He's like, look at my head. And I was like, oh, man, look at those heads. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, like I've accepted I have a lifetime of a crappy grip. But, you know... You don't want, you don't uh, want to get
1: punched by those heads,
3: though. That I promise you. <laughs> no, I, I get lots of PSI. Uh, you know what? So, so I'm sitting there, and I'm doing this Rolling Thunder. And he's like, how long do you do? And I was like, a minute. He's like, my son did a minute 20. He's 16. <laughs> Granted, the kid's like a 180-pound monster sincere. Like, this kid's a a, a complete freak show. Like, uh, yeah, it's cool he beat me, man. He weighs me by 50 pounds.
2: <laughs> I don't care if he's
3: 16. He's a beast of a kid. Yeah, he's Mark, he's Mark,
1: he's Mark Phillippe's son, and, and, and Mark and Mark's wife, Tracy, is also a gifted athlete, so I yeah. mean, his kids are ridiculous. Uh,
3: at this point, last time I, when I saw him at this point, he was seriously 16, and he was 215 pounds, 6'2", with, like, abs. You're like, yeah. holy cow, this kid's a freaking, and I mean, just a, a stud. I don't even know how else to say it, like, right. Yeah. And actually, there was a guy who, the guy I really, really appreciated getting to work out with a lot was uh, Dominic Dorsey. What, this guy, sincere, what a freak show, man. I've never seen anybody. And one day, we go in there, and he's a little guy. He weighs 165 pounds, and he played a little, he, he was a kingpin in this, the Canadian Football League.
4: Mm-hmm. And
3: uh, he was like the MVP like six times, but they wouldn't take him to the NFL because he was so little. He had one play with the Redskins. But anyways, this guy's 165 pounds. And I kid you not, he had like a 700-pound squat. His deadlift was incredible. He could bench 450, like nobody's business. And I was like, where, where does this dude come from? Like, yeah. I, you know, it's we don't have guys in MMA that strong. The guys in the NFL and whatnot, it was an interesting thing. He just, that was the good part about Mark's gym for me also was I got to see these guys from other sports. And uh, a lot of the guys that played football were, were incredible. Um, and there was a guy there named Jay Staggs, and, and he used to do a – he'd take one step and he'd do a six-foot box jump.
1: And yeah, it was ridiculous. he does that? Yeah, it was ridiculous. He, he had so many gifted athletes like that there. I'll tell you a funny story about Dale at PSI. One, so one time we were all getting a little workout in, and, and Jay was there too, actually, the guy Dale just mentioned. And I think I just finished squats or something like that. Then all of a sudden, Mark pulls his shirt over his head. And he's like, he's like, he's like, who farted? Who farted in here? And I've never seen Mark get mad. He was so mad. His face was purple. He's like, Jay, was that you? And Jay's like, what are you talking about? That wasn't me. And then, like, 10 seconds later, Dale's like, sorry, guys, that was me. (laughs) And Mark, Mark was you know how disrespectful that is? He's like, go out in the parking lot if you need to do that. He was so <laughs> mad. His I know, head, man. I was dead His head was purple. Like, it was about to explode, man. <laughs> I mean, I wish I had it on day So, Dale, I'm assuming that you weren't on the diet regimen you're on now. Back
3: then. <laughs> yeah, definitely not, man. That protein powder. Bro, I used to live off protein powder.
2: But like, you were taking I, away I protein, right?
3: That's...
1: Well, what kind of protein powder were you taking though? Because I don't think that was pea I, protein or rice protein. It was probably whey.
3: I actually switched to the uh I switched to the pea protein and I, I had a lot better success. I I ended up switching to a hemp and a, a pea protein. But yeah, I pretty much think Casein doesn't react well with meat. Because those those dairy uh, proteins, everybody rips
1: like crazy on those. I mean the bodybuilders at Bennett's bees walk around with Lysol cans, spraying it constantly <laughs> because they're just ripping on command, you know? I a, lot of a lot of people don't realize that. They think, oh, you know, whey protein's the best. And there was actually an eight-week study where they did a head-to-head comparison of whey protein isolate versus rice protein isolate, and there wasn't any statistical difference whatsoever in terms of the benefits. So it's it's one of those marketing campaigns that people have just bought into. You know, you hear it enough times, you think, oh, yeah, that's the best. And the reality is, is uh, that a lot of people have allergies to whey protein. I mean, Mark, Mark's wife, Tracy, a nutrition expert at PSI, I mean, we would look at a lot of people's blood work and so forth, and pretty much anyone who, was, who had taken any whey protein for a sustained period of time had a pretty bad sensitivity to it.
3: 90%. Her test came back with a 90% lactose intolerance. Yeah. They had a lactose sensitivity. 90% right. of people, and the same, like, 92% of, of people had an intolerance to whey. I mean, wheat. Wheat. <clears throat> right
1: now with whey a lot of the lactose is taken out because it's concentrated but there's still properties within the casein. it
4: yeah
1: well the casein i mean it uh, might be the worst part of milk casein can be yeah no doubt for the gut health but i mean if someone is taking let's say a whey protein isolate where it's it's very purified they're probably less likely to have that gut distress But if you still have a sensitivity to dairy in general, then it's going to be a problem over time. There's just no doubt about it. So you have to cycle proteins, basically. I mean, you can can develop a sensitivity to any protein, too, whether it's rice protein, pea protein, hemp protein. I mean, if you take too much too often, you're going to develop a sensitivity, which is why I always recommend blends. Take hemp, pea, rice. There's artichoke protein now. Just blend up these things. Blend up these species. You know, even cycle it out of your routine for a while. Just say, hey, you know what? This week, no protein powder. I'm just gonna eat regular food and and cycle your food too. Instead of eating the same fruits and vegetables every single day. I mean, that's what have a lot of people. effect kids do. to that.
0: Yeah, you can, yeah. They'll become allergic to that and have reactions to that as well. And you know, yeah. Some people are like, yeah, man, you've had chicken breast, broccoli every day. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> that's not gonna last forever. Asparagus,
3: sweet potato, chicken breast.
0: <laughs> Bodybuilder meal one oh one right there.
3: Every fighter I know has done that damn diet. You wake up in the morning, you have two cups you have eight boiled egg whites and two cups of oatmeal. Then six times throughout the day you have two ounces of chicken, two ounces of sweet potato, and you have six sticks of asparagus. That's that dang diet is so prevalent in the fighting world. is and I mean yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about right there.
0: And then it's borrowed from the bodybuilding world. So it's, you got to ask yourself, right. like, do you, you want to look? And I always tell anyone that comes to me, I'm like, okay, how are you eating? Well, this, this, and this. I'm eating six times a day, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, where'd you get that from? I said, because it sounds like a bodybuilder diet. And then you tell them like, okay, I want you to look at that bodybuilder. Is that what you're trying to strive to look for? You look at, that's what you want to look at, you know? And that's how you want to look. And they're like, no. And then I said, why are you eating like him? Especially women. You know, I always tell them like, you always worried about getting bulky from lifting weights. You know, I said, but you're also trying to eat like this dude too. So you're worrying about right. the wrong things. So I'm like, right. why are you eating so much when you're doing so little? <laughs> so my, <laughs> so <laughs> I don't, point. I don't understand six meals a day when all you do is sit on your ass all day for nine to ten hours at your job, and right, then right. And, and the I mean, only you're working
1: is, out, you're working out once three times a week and you're eating right. six meals. And
0: day they're day trying day. to find the shortest workout. They're shopping around trying to find who's doing a 30-minute boot camp, you know, and they're going three days a week. Okay, that's 90 minutes a week. Okay, compared to all the other time you're sitting on your ass and you're fighting your stuff in your face. <laughs> a lot of times there's not enough sleep going on there as well. So I'm like, why are you eating so much? Please tell me your poor yeah. stomach. Your stomach is so damn tired. That's what's getting the workout. Your stomach
1: trying yeah. to break yeah. down all yeah. that yeah. food. No, it's true. You're always you're always you're always diverting energy to that. Dale, what, what's what's your take on optimal meal frequency for someone that's a fighter? And I know it's going to vary with where you are in, in training camp and so forth, but what, what are your thoughts about
3: meal frequency? I think it varies more by individual. Sure, To be absolutely. honest with you, definitely. And, and I I I think I think the more frequent eating is hard on your system. I think I, it's I, terrible for your body. Yeah. But but I will say that that it's really hard to maintain your weight without some pretty. Fr- I mean, you can't be a guy that's 250 pounds. It's pretty dang hard to maintain that.
4: Yeah, I mean not just eating muscle mass. <laughs> well, like right. okay, I'm 100,
3: I'm I'm 160, 165 pounds right now. I'm I'm really light. Right. And uh, t- today I I burned 2300. Before, wait, uh, when I went on that run today, I burned 2350 calories according to my heart rate monitor. Think about that. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> You know what I mean like
0: that's a full day's meal for yeah, a person that's, that's actually trying to eat healthy, you know right, right.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's a full day's meal that's that's the suggested calorie guidelines for many
2: people, <laughs> yeah yeah
3: exactly, but you know and 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 I'll be honest with you, Mike, where I'm at now in my life, if I'm hungry, I eat if I'm yeah. not hungry, I don't eat
0: yeah wow what a concept
3: I know.
1: <laughs> it's so it's so true though i'm pretty now, much can you the
0: sell that uh, diet please yeah exactly yeah
1: exa- <laughs> exactly there we go if i'm hungry i, mean, if I eat sex- if i'm not <laughs> hungry i don't eat i will say
0: that wasn't sexy <laughs> what you said but damn dude
1: <laughs> no it's so true though i mean we, we have an intuitive when we're healthy we have an intuitive fuel gauge just like our car which tells us when to fill up and when not to fill up so i mean it's now, the problem is, is that people who right. are not healthy, they're hungry all the time. So it's not you know going to what work. hungry is. <laughs> right, exactly. Someone who has leptin resistance, which we'll talk about in another show, I mean, you're hungry all the time. That's the problem with that condition. So, I mean, you can't let that be your indicator of when you should eat because then you'll just keep eating all the time. So, but, but like what Dale hey, said, when, you, when the, health, the healthier sure. you get,
3: the better. Yeah, uh, please, Dale. Go ahead. No, Mike. I mean, I, I think you're right in the healthier you get. But two yeah. things. I'll tell you one thing just for your – the trick is, is what you're eating. Right. When you eat, I just tell people, eat raw vegetables. Eat as much as you want. Stuff your face 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You're not going to get fat. But here's the thing, and my buddy has a theory, and I don't know the – I've never read research on this, and I'm not saying this – I'm not touting this as fact, but it sure does ring awful true to me. And, and and his theory is that your body is looking for a certain amount of nutrients. Right. It 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 craves nutrients. Yeah. So when I'm giving my body those nutrients, my cravings will be satisfied.
1: Right. So whether you're getting those when nutrients I... through fifteen hundred calories or six thousand is yeah. relevant. If you're getting the nutrients, then you're all good. And and that's another point I try to get to people too, is to stop yeah. thinking about calories, thinking In about numbers. nutrition. Yeah, the, the more nutrition you get in a meal, the less you actually need to eat. It's when you have a lot of empty calories, that that's when you have to keep going. It's kind of like the whole the bowl of cereal syndrome where you have a bowl of cereal, right? And then you can easily fill it up and have another bowl. And you can just keep going. It's like, it's it, it, could, it could be – you could yeah. easily because you're getting nothing. I mean when you have a big meal and you're still hungry, it's because you've got nothing that just nourished your body out of that. Well, you could have something that's relatively small, and you're like, wow, I feel great. I'm energetic. My brain's perked up. All the neurotransmitters are ready to go, and I'm ready to take charge of my day. So it's not always the quantity. It's the quality that you should really focus
0: on. And especially if it's balanced. That's another thing. You're trying to exclude a certain food group screws everybody up. So, like, I'm going on a low-fat diet. Well, guess right. what? Your ass is going to be hungry. Okay? Yeah. You, need, you need some fat. That's what fat is there for, okay, and quality fat at that, not just any kind of fat, but so you just can't get rid of fat, and trust me, if you're going low fat, that means you got high bullshit somewhere else, like high carbs, and it's, and it's crappy carbs, so wherever there's going to be a low something in your diet, there's going to be a high something that's not going to be as optimal, so yep. even if you're going high protein, I'm like, well, that's not going to be great either, because there's this protein method, we got to get more protein, more protein, more protein, I'm like... No, you just need to get more nutrients. And guess what? It's going to take all three of those food groups to make that happen. And you're going to have to get some minerals in your life as well. Okay? So, and that's always the forgotten thing. So, like I said, people focus too much on numbers and getting rid of a certain food group instead of just like, give me the best quality food you can possibly give me. Because not everybody's going to be able to afford organic or whatever else. But, dude, I mean, the more you can get, the better off you're going to be.
3: Right. Okay, listen, this is back to where... If you want to touch on this organic thing real quick, since sure. you're, the problem here is, mm-hmm. you 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 run into this thing right where much less important than the organic aspect is knowing who grows your food.
2: Exactly. And I'll
3: give you a for instance right now. Thank you, Mike. If you are familiar at all, are you familiar at all with insecticides?
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> plenty.
2: <laughs> I, I've, <laughs> I've heard, heard of them. I live in Texas. Yeah,
3: plenty of them. <laughs> oh. Okay, well, like, let's say the USDA, there's other sites that can determine that. There's private organizations that that have their own organic certification. But a lot of times when you go into the Joe Schmo uh, grocery store, you're going to look and you're going to see a USDA organic, certified organic, okay? Now, there's a lot of interesting points. Now, what that basically means is most of that food you're – I can't say this is a fact because it depends on where you're shopping. But I'm saying your average everyday grocery store. They're going to put organic on this apple. Now, what happens is is, it, is it the USDA puts out a list of insecticides and pest, different herbicides and different things, chemical compounds that they deem organic. Okay? Now, there is no limitation on how often that spray or that whatever is used. So what ends up happening a lot of times is you have industrial farmers that get paid more money to grow organic. So what they'll do is they'll take the same exact industrial farming principle, and they'll actually take a lot of times a lot of scientists are going to look, and they look at insecticides. Sometimes you have a synthetic one, okay, and that's just solely made by man. Obviously, you guys know what synthetic means. And then you have more natural ones that come from, at some point, far, far back in the chemical chain, that actually came from a naturally occurring substance. So they tend to opt for these naturally occurring substances for, instead of the synthetic ones for organic material. Now what happens is, is sometimes this naturally occurring substance can actually have a higher toxicity rating, meaning that if a 1,000 people eat this product, uh, more are gonna get sick than the exact same organ- i mean the synthetic insecticide, okay, so are you with me here sincere yeah okay, so now we take this we take this now this guy has an insecticide that 's actually more toxic than the synthetic one he but the tr- the caveat is is sometimes that insecticide won 't actually work as well, so he 'll end up spraying it four times as often as he would have sprayed that synthetic pesticide. Right. So now you're actually getting a much higher toxicity rating in that organic apple than you would have having one that was non-organic. Does that mean I think we should be using synthetic insecticides? No, it does not. That means I think you ought to know the guy that grows your food. You can't right. trust the USDA. That's okay. all there is to it. I agree. You, you know what, you need to be able to go to, the, I, I mean, that's the whole benefit. There's a number of benefits to you eating local food, but the mm-hmm. biggest thing is I really like looking the guy in the eye that grows my food. Yeah, and, and you knowing that and I can
0: go to his place and, you know, I can visit his farm and see how he's doing, you know, how he's raising his food, and, and most of the farmers you're going to see at the farmer's market, they welcome you, like, please, come visit, you know, come see how we're raising food, even if you're a meat eater, you get to see how they're treating their animals and things like that, so... And I think that's very important. It's like no, we always stress. I always stress it to my folks here, and always talk about that online. It's just like, dude, you know, like know where it, you know where it grows, and it's really not that hard. I mean, it's farmers markets, especially where I am, I'm in the fourth largest city, and there's a farmers market almost every day of the week here, and it's really simple. I always hear it all the time, like, I can't afford organic. I'm like, but you, you trust me, you can, you can afford good food, okay? Just organic is just a very broad term, just like you were saying, just doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be. And, and also, when something's deemed organic, let's say you got organic oatmeal or whatever else, who knows, or organic soy, who knows it's getting cross-contaminated with non-organic, okay? So, I mean, does this farmer have a big, giant, shield wall you know, separating his conventional and unconventional food? Who knows? And I mean, we see the bee population dying, so we don't know where all this stuff is floating around in the air and, you know, getting into these fields. It's like, do they have this big bubble to block it out? I mean, there's still pollution going on, so... It's such a very broad term and a great marketing term. That's why I was telling everybody: it's a good way to raise another dollar or two on some food that may not necessarily still be full of nutrients for you.
3: Well, you, you, you're, you're, you're. I, I, I believe since you you you, the, the, the direction is right. But the thing is, is that, you, you, I'm not condoning the use of synthetic insecticides. I'm simply pointing out a glitch in the system we have. And you have so many people that, and and I'm sure you have people that you deal with that see the word natural and they go, oh, it must be good for me.
0: That's hilarious. Yeah, I would say that means nothing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that means it can, yeah, exactly. And and I find more and more sincere. The more I just keep coming back to this thing where I, I don't want my food screwed with. I want my food to come exactly the way it was meant to come to me, the way it was grown. I don't want it to be processed. I don't want it to be extracted. I don't want it to be screwed with in any way. Those are the foods that make me feel the best. Those are the responses that my body responds to the best. And I think it's a long-term sustainable policy as far as you feeding yourself. Mm -hmm. Yep, I agree. You know, and – and, 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 and I'll tell you this, that there's another aspect there with food, too, that uh, I, I, I'm a big advocate of gardening. I'm, I'm a big, big fan of gardening. And, and, and there's a correlation there in life and, and between what you reap and what you sow. And just that fundamental little lesson is, is I think, so essential to people in their sense of well-being. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, I agree, man.
3: How many people do you know in your life since you that are like that? You know, oh, and then this happened to me, and then and I know Mike wrote a whole book about it. Right, but, right. Uh, but, but, you know, you this happened to me, and it's not my fault, and all this. They don't understand. Like, you reap what you sow in this life, and I keep coming to it more and more, and that garden teaches you that it really oh, yeah. does because. Hey, I, I don't water my plants. They don't care why. I don't take care of my, my garden. It doesn't matter what the excuse was. Oh, it was, uh, you know, whatever happened that, that I didn't water them, it was really important to me. But guess what? They're still dead. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. My
3: plants are still dead. They're still not producing. They don't care. There's no excuses. And, 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 and more and more I keep coming to that nature. Like, this is really pretty black and white stuff. Like, no one really cares how you feel. All that matters is what you get done.
0: Exactly,
1: right? right. That's so true. And if, if you yeah. worry about how you feel so much, you're not going to get anything done. I think a lot of people feel that I need to feel this way in order to get stuff done. And what they don't realize is, is like, no, you need to get stuff done to feel better. <laughs> because <laughs> you know, nothing's going to stress you out more than just not taking action. I mean, it's just sitting around going, I'm not happy with my life, but. I'm not going to do anything about it. That's stressful to just say. And, and I've been there before, so it's not like I don't understand what that's like. You know, I, I've been through very dissatisfying periods in life where you just feel like you're floating along. And honestly, you're stressed all the time when you're in that period. I mean, it's hard to enjoy really anything because in the back of your mind, you're just thinking, what, what am I doing? What's my, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not doing anything productive. What's my purpose? And when you don't have any answers to those questions, it's pretty stressful. <laughs>
3: Hey, you know what, Mike? I I I think you're 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 right, and I think one step stressful, or oh, that was terrible. Uh, one <laughs> step more stressful <laughs> than the one you were describing, like is when people are worried about where am I going to eat, where am I going to live. Oh, of course. Where am i going to have, you know, well, what I'm well, saying? The, well, those are like, real problems. I
1: mean, that's, I'm talking about luxury problems. You know, that that that's like last week's show. Like, Sincere and I were li- listening to this guy James Pond talk about you know, girls that have been involved with human trafficking since they were five years old and have basically been raped every day for years, and he's trying to help rehabilitate these people mentally, physically, spiritually, any way you can look at it. I mean, you're just... Any problem you have starts becoming laughable at that point when you hear stories like that. So, yeah, I mean, those are are real problems, and when when your real problems are where am I going to sleep tonight and how am I going to get food, then obviously everything else, such as what purpose do I want to have in my life and how do I find some kind of spiritual fulfillment? Those are going to, be, those are, those are going to go on the back burner. They're not a primary concern at that point.
3: Hey, I'm sure you've heard of it before, but sorry, what were you going to say? No,
1: no, go, no ahead. go for it. Go
3: for it. Hey, I'll tell you what I find. And, and this is kind of a side subject, but you guys are down with that. So, uh, <laughs> I, I think Maslow's, uh, Hierarchies is is really pretty darn interesting stuff. Sure. You know, um, and and you know, I don't know if you are familiar with him, but he had a guy that he looked up to a professor.
4: Huh? Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, I'm familiar. Go ahead. Yeah. He had a, a professor, you know, and he basically based his whole uh, pyramid off that professor. Like, how did that guy get to be such a great man? But the whole concept is a, a, a one of a building block. You know, like, first you take care of your biological needs. Well, then you take care of your security needs. Like, okay, where am I going to live? Like, am I going to have a place? And then, according to him, this is where things get a little hanky, but then you have love and relationship needs, and then he says self-esteem needs, and then he says self-actualization is the final step. And maybe he's wrong about, like, what's important there because I'm not sure, but just the concept there of, like, okay, I need to get to here in order to get to this next place. You know what I mean? And and, right. and I really think a strong foundation, Mike. Like, you knowing where you – that you're going to be okay. Like, you got a little money in the bank, and you're like, you know what? Like, I'm going to be okay tomorrow. That lets you walk – that lets you concentrate a little bit more on other things. Okay. And that that really helps people grow, I think.
2: <clears throat> yeah,
3: we right. – you know, I, I've, I've – you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, I, and, I, and I'm really a big fan of, like, that whole base. And that's why I – I'm a big fan of people getting that progression, you know, like realizing, like, I have to go from A to B to get to C. And and there's also something there about not looking to, not basing your happiness on getting to C, just enjoying the ride,
1: you know? Well, yeah, I mean, that's a big thing that Cyncia and I talk about quite a bit is with just with regards to training even is when you're working out, you want to enjoy those workouts rather than it's just misery, but you're trying to deal with it for some end game. you are getting to, so you're going, I hate working out, but I'm going to do it for the next several months to get to this point. And right. you're really, only, you're really only going to get so far with that attitude. Because if, if you wake up each day and you're thinking, Oh God, I got to work out today. And if that's, that's not going to, you're not going to get the best results from that workout. Then If you wake up and you're like, man, I can't wait to get that workout in. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a good time. And it's going to be much easier to make it part of your routine if it's something you look forward to rather than something where it's just one more miserable thing you have to deal with in
3: life. Yeah, definitely. Mike, I think you're a genius. But I'll tell you this. Well, I do too, but what do we know?
2: (laughs) 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 Ah, Yeah, look who's
3: saying it. That's the thing. Hey, I I think – (laughs) <laughs> I, I think that, uh, uh, you know, the, the 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 key there is that everything in life is that way, right, really, like so much not, of life, like how much, I, I was the worst high school student you have ever seen in your whole life, I had horrible ADD, and all I wanted to do was be outside, uh, I, I'm like, I liken myself to being like a wild Indian in a movie, like, I'm like, I do not really like, I I, I could run around outside in, in my skivvies all day and uh, be quite happy. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I like sunlight, and I like being outside, and that was just, anyway, so, but I look back, and I'm like, you know the kids that were successful in high school or the kids that were like, I like being here. I like learning. I can't wait to go tomorrow. I want to have my homework done. Like, right. those kids, they kick butt in high school. Kids that are like, is it 3 o'clock yet? Is it? Oh, it's 257. Okay. Uh, 258. Okay. Uh, 259. You know what I mean? Like that was my entire day in high school. It's like counting the very uh, next. I I think a lot of us
1: can relate to that one. I mean, I pretty much felt the same way in high school. And honestly... A lot of people I know that were just conformists in high school, it just kind of went along with the program. They didn't go on to become very interesting people. Yeah, exactly. You know what <laughs> I mean? They, 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 were, they just went on to become boring people. When, when I look, and I was just having this discussion with a friend of mine that I knew in high school a couple of weeks ago. And I don't, I don't, I mean, when I was in high school, I was, I didn't, I was kind of in a lost phase, just like most teenagers. You know, you're just coming into yourself. You don't really, you don't know who you are yet, things like that. But I mean. I had these long dreadlocks. I was really into the punk rock scene, and I, I was—I I wasn't a conformist though. I wasn't just—and I wasn't trying to be unique for the sake of being unique. Exactly. That was—that was—that was, that was just what I was into. And as a result, you got a lot of flack for that. I mean, I went to a high school that was kind of like Beverly Hills 90210 in terms of the <laughs> student body. So I got—I got a lot of flack from that, not just from other students, but from the administration as well. And but but I dealt with it. And I think that was a good lesson for me to learn as an adult is that when you try to carve your own path, you're going to deal with flack, and you're, you're just going to have to accept that. And I was able to accept that as a teenager. So I, I think that paved a, 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 a healthy road for me much later in life, ironically, while people I know that they didn't want to get in trouble with their parents. They didn't want to rock the boat with the administration. They, they just wanted to stay on that straight line. Sure, I mean, they they went on to go to a nice college, this, that, and so forth, but they have very boring lives, man. And So, I mean, is that a victory? So, I mean, you, I mean it, it's for each person to decide. Now, if these people are happy with their life, more power to them. I'm not judging it at all, not at all. But you, you have to wonder what, I mean, you have to you have to wonder what, if, if you don't fit in at that time period, and like you're saying, you had bad, bad ADD and all that. The, the, the benefit of that is, though, is that you start going down a path that's going to make you happy, ultimately, as you get older. I mean, at least that's what, that's the way it should go, because otherwise you're just going to be miserable. You try to just be some conformist when you know you're not going to fit in that world. Yep.
3: Hey, I feel like, uh, I, I know for me it's like, I know it's really paid off for me, but I I I feel like you always pay one way or another. <laughs> like, you always pay for your situation. Nothing in this life is free, <laughs> and, and and I'm really happy with where I'm at right now, and I'm happy with the wisdom, and I feel like a lot of people walk around like zombies, and they got these oh, nine-to-five yeah. jobs, and I look at them, and I'm like, wow, I would never want to be them, but then in all fairness, I have to look like I, I took a lot of chances, and I took a lot of beatings.
2: <laughs> literally
3: <laughs> Yeah, literally <laughs> Yeah, literally Literally. You know, uh, I paid I paid my dues to be Where I'm at, you right. know uh, I look at it that way
0: And you know, on the flip side of that, these people Who live in these, like those that live the Boring life and they're walking around like zombies <laughs> They're paying their dues to live the life They have too, <laughs> it's on the flip side Of that, so I mean, they—they they, like we talked about this on the show before. They put in a lot of hard work to be where they are. <laughs> it takes a lot of work to sit in. just like you know, they're constantly every day they're practicing their craft on living a crappy life. <laughs> okay, so they're putting in work too. So it's just pretty much you know, which work you choose to put in is where it comes down to, man.
1: Right.
3: <laughs> well, <clears throat> hey, but the thing is, sincere, where I'm at now in my life is—is is, uh, I find more and more. I, I, I've stopped worrying about other people.
0: Oh, there, that's it's a it's a beautiful thing, man. It's a beautiful
1: thing.
3: Freedom from attachment, my friend.
1: Oh yeah. Well, I mean that that kind of comes back to a, a Hindu saying in the Bhagavad Gita that I always love to quote: mm-hmm. focus on excellence in your actions without being attached to the results. Exactly. And that if, if that's something you can do, if you can just focus on excellence in whatever you try to do without worrying about what you're going to get from it. I mean, you'll, you'll just enjoy it so much more. Like when Sincere and I first started doing this podcast, we were just – I was hanging out in his house in Houston. I was like, man, we should start doing the podcast because you and I always have these great conversations just organically. It's not like we're trying to have a good conversation. It just happens. And when we started doing the show, we weren't thinking like, oh, this is going to be huge for our careers. You know, we're going to become millionaires from doing this, and we're going to get a radio show like Howard Stern. No, we didn't, we didn't have any expectation like that at all. It just seemed like a fun thing for us to do and, and a good way to engage our audiences. And 11 episodes in, it, it's just been a blast. We're having a really good time with this. And it remains to be seen what, what material benefit will come for the business or so. Who knows? But bottom line is we're having a good time doing it each week, and I I think that's a, a win in and of itself. Exactly. I can see that.
0: And then, you know, we get to have good conversations with, you know, dudes like yourself, man.
1: Yeah,
2: exactly. Dudes,
0: you know, you get to just be laid back and just talk and not have to worry about, like, well, I'm on TV or I'm on the radio. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I got to make sure the FCC doesn't – oh, fuck the FCC. <laughs> so yeah. I've with them for 20 years.
3: <laughs> okay, so trust me.
0: Screw them. That's the beauty of this hey, now. Like, oh, two, you, know,
3: you, know you know they're listening right now, right?
0: Yeah, of course Come they are. On, we're, on. we're on the phone. Of course they're listening now. That's why you couldn't
2: dial in, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They,
1: they don't want you to get on and talk about all that organic farming and buying locally and stuff like that. That's, Come on. La- right. That's there. the last thing Monsanto wants you to do is
2: support. No, we local, want you to trust the
3: USDA, <laughs> <laughs> Well hey, you you realize like, yeah, it's scary stuff. And, well, and, and the thing that scares me is the genetic modifications to plants. It's like Jurassic Park. You can't right. take that back. Like, you can have permanent implications on on, on and, and and genes have a way of spreading. Uh, do you mean Do you like mean that? if you if you do you mean if you saw that movie in the theater,
1: you can't get that time back? Is that, is that, <laughs> is that what you're
2: saying? Yeah, I love to that movie. With? <laughs> i love that movie
1: or you're jeff <laughs> you
0: can't get your career back i mean what are we
3: talking about? oh you guys are a tough crowd man <laughs> oh holy cow oh <laughs>
1: But,
2: yeah, you're right. You're
1: right, though, man. I mean, yeah. you're right. I mean, it, the, the I price think it's going to one, be one
0: that, being done right now. And, you know, and no, people are so crazy. short-sighted. They're, these companies are not looking what's going to happen down the line. It's like, and like you said, yeah, genes, man, they have the way of just <laughs> doing things. I mean, hell, look at us. We were amoeba at one time,
2: okay?
1: <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's one of the yeah. biggest issues that no politician is talking about is the, are the issues with the food supply and how it's getting worse every year. And that's something – I mean, that obviously should be an issue that everyone should be concerned about because it, that really affects everybody. We all eat, right? So, I mean, <laughs> we, we should be concerned about the fact that we're not getting the same nutrients as we used to, and, and, and that's low on the list of problems. Now we're getting a lot of harmful things that are, having, that are wreaking havoc on us. But it, it's not something that's ever discussed in the mainstream media at all.
0: Well, there's a thing called hush money, okay? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. these politicians, you know, they're taking hush money, so they just need a hush whenever this topic comes up. You right. know, otherwise, they lose that money because they're very short-sighted. They're just thinking like, well, I've got to make this money now while I'm in office, and, you know, I'll, 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 do, I'll do my part when I'm out. <laughs> you know, or right. let me just get one more term, and I'll see what I can do. It's like, nah, dude. So, you know, when <laughs> you bought and paid for it. What the F are you going to say? Right, right. Hey.
3: So, well, Mike, I'll tell you this. If you want to get political, I'll tell you a scary thought I have about food, or at least I find it scary. I think there's a definitive link between Americans, and and I'm not just saying Americans, but I'll use Americans for this example,
4: is that America
3: was like this country of really independent people. They were independent right. thinkers, and they were, were self-resilient individuals. I think that was the core when our country was founded, and they founded the Constitution. It was that kind of people in mind. Okay. Now, I think now we're starting to turn into this society like we're we're people get so dependent on the government, like they're like, and it's like this bad cycle because the government wants to be big, it wants to be powerful because everybody wants power, like. The kind of people that go into government are the kind of people that are like, I want to be powerful. I want control over other people. So the more and more our society becomes a society of, of not just handouts, but just straight up zombies, like dependent upon the government for everything. Oh, well, this bad happened. It's okay. The government will show up. Oh, it's okay. The government will bail them out. Oh, it's okay. The government will fix it. And and, <clears throat> and, and more and more we get towards this, this is codependent we get dependent on them instead of being independent and and not just with our actions but with our thoughts and i i think that's a fundamental thing and 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 a lot of times i think it starts with food and people have this industrialized food complex and they don't think they think i'm crazy i I can literally tell you thousands i'm sure the whole town i live in thinks i'm absolutely insane because (laughs) i don't think they should be eating goldfish uh, you know, I don't think they should feed their kids goldfish. Like, they 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 have this disassociation from food, and what I mean by that is they they don't they don't appreciate where it really comes from, and they don't Gold, understand. Goldfish.
1: How <laughs> what kind of town are you living in here?
3: Hamden. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, you know, I say goldfish because like my ki- my my uh, my kids. You're, mother, you're, like, you're talking about the pepperidge, pepperidge Farms goldfish. Yeah, the, so crackers, so.
2: Yeah, the crackers.
1: Yeah, I figured that's what you were talking about, but I just, just like, like when did that become the
0: official snack for, for kids? Man. Like, yo, know, give him some goldfish and some red drink, because we don't right, know exactly right. what that drink is anymore. It's just like you just see something red in a bottle, a sippy cup, even flow bottle. You're just like, what the hell are they drinking? You know.
1: No, it's true. Most people, most I mean, if look you. at most people's shopping carts. They're not. They're not eating anything that even is close to food. It's it's oral entertainment. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's basically. stuff. <laughs> I love I love well. that phrase, man. <laughs> I love dropping that at the workshops. You know, most of you guys, all you're doing is is oral entertainment. I'm not talking about the fun one. Yeah. You know? But uh, nah. no. But I mean, most of what pe- people eat is just stuff that sets off a, a sensation of taste. But in terms of actually any nourishment, no, if anything, it's taking away energy because now your liver has to deal with that. You have to process this garbage, get rid of the waste, et cetera.
3: Okay. I got to tell you this one more thing. And I, and I, and, and, and I'm just going to say the same thing I said before. I haven't read any research. This isn't a scientific thing, but I hear this guy I run with. I, I run with a guy. His name is Joe Dunn and uh, he's a sensational athlete. Um, He is a vegan, um, and that boy, he had uh, one of the top fastest 50-mile times in the country. He's done a number of ultra-marathons, and, I mean, he's a special guy. He seriously goes to the track and will run 40 miles straight on a track. Like, who – you know what I mean? Like, this is a – but anyways, he's a hardcore guy, and he he, he just has this certain thing when he dives into it, but he thinks – that um, the mechanism, like, you know how you you use cultures to break down food a lot of times? You use bacterial cultures? Right. He thinks that people develop cultures specific to the food they're eating, and those cultures can only break down certain types of foods. So these foods, like, let's say you're eating a bunch of sugar. You develop cultures that want sugar. So basically, he thinks those cultures in your stomach have a big determination of what you want to eat. So his theory, and I'll tell you from my own point of view, when I'm eating sugar, even occasionally, I get a lot of cravings. Well, I've quit eating sugar almost entirely for four months. uh, And I get no, after like two weeks, I get no cravings for sugar anymore. Right. And sincere, Mike will tell you, I got the biggest sweet tooth you've ever seen. I come from a long line of fat people. Everybody in my family is <laughs> fat.
0: <laughs> me too. We may be cousins.
3: <laughs> oh man, maybe.
0: You know, I'm not ashamed maybe. to say. Maybe like you
3: like my know. Well, you know, um I don't yeah. Not a lot of people call me fat these days. Uh, I'm pretty skinny, Mike. You should see me. I'm I'm like skin and bones these days. I, I, um, but uh, you know, I, I feel the best. I know that my body—this is the weight that my body likes the most. Maybe like one fifty-five, one sixty. I'll probably stop sh- the shrinking. Stop yeah, the I mean that, that's right a good—that's
1: like a good point right there. Yeah. Is that we, we all have a weight. I mean, there's a certain weight that if I'm at, that's where I feel really light on my feet, and I just feel really energetic. And it's not always. Mm. It's not always the weight that I'm going to be the strongest at in terms of how much weight I can lift. Right. But it's the, it's the weight where I just ha- – you, you just feel – I don't know how to describe it other than you just feel light on your feet and you just feel like you move really well. Like You don't feel like you're dragging around excess weight.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's work to actually move. You yeah. know? Or when you sit down, you're thinking like, damn. What the hell? And then, you know, some people are kind of like, I'm getting old. No, you just prob- you're probably at a weight that your body's not happy with. And it just right. really comes down to really being in tune with, you know, who you are and not some predisposed, you know, just some theory of, okay, you got to be this weight. You have to be this weight. At this height, you need to be this weight. Okay, all that's crap because we're all individuals and we all have different sets of genetics and things like that. Right. So, you know, if I would have dropped down, I mean, I've been, I think my lowest weight is, as an adult. Especially like in the last 10 years, my lowest weight, especially when I was doing Muay Thai constantly, I dropped down to like 175, 180. Dude, I felt like a crackhead. I did not feel <laughs> good. You know, I was yeah. feeling spacey, and you know, and then started moving up a little bit more. And like right now, I always tinker anywhere between like anywhere between like two and like 210. But the thing is, I tend to move better. I'm swifter when I'm at that weight, and I carry more muscle at that weight, but at the same time, not so much I'm feeling winded, even when I run sprints. It's, just, right. it's, it's a good weight for me because I, I understand my genes. Like I said, I come from that long line of fat people. But that's because they were also athletic when they were younger, and they just let themselves go. So I come from a very muscular family, and I, and I make peace with that. You know, my mom is an anomaly because she she can't gain weight to save her life, but she I know she gets that from her her you know her father's side of the family. Whereas I know from her mother's side, from my grandmother's side, it's like no, it's either you're gonna be you're gonna have muscle or you're gonna let it go and get fat. <laughs> there are really just no skinny people on that side of the family. So unless well, uh, unless they're sick or something like that,
3: so, and I made peace with that. Well, I'll, I'll say this, Sincere. I, I personally, I, I think it's directly related to two things. Obviously, how much food I eat. But more importantly, it's the activities that I'm putting my body through. I yeah. think my body is like a piece of clay. And, and you know what? Absolutely. Like, we have different genetic dispositions. So it kind of gives us like a basic framework. mm mm-hmm. But but I guarantee you, sincere, if you, started, if you woke up tomorrow and you're like, I want to be a triathlete, I want to do Ironman, <laughs> okay? So you start up this Ironman regimen, similar to maybe what I'm, I'm doing, You know, and you're running 70 miles a week, you're biking 200 miles a week, and you're swimming a couple, three miles a week. And, you know, you're lifting a few weights on top of that. Guess what's going to happen to your body?
0: Oh, well, it's not going to have a choice but to get smaller. I mean, yeah, it, it definitely depends on the activity because, trust me, even, like I said, I'll go back to doing Muay Thai. It's just like there's no way I could even think of being anywhere in the 190s or two, you know, when I was doing that type of training. And and trust me, I believe as far as what I was eating really didn't change that much. And so pretty much I'm I'm a big believer in three square meals a day and and just the quality of what you eat in those three square meals. I wasn't trying to do six meals a day just because, oh, I'm doing Muay Thai for an hour or hour and a half, you know, four days a week and blah, blah, blah. It's like, no. <laughs> it's like because I know eating that much food, I would feel miserable. I'm like anywhere between three to two meals a day works great for me. Because, again, everybody's like, well, that's not you're not eating enough. I'm like, oh, yes, I am. Because what I'm eating <laughs> is taking care of me. And most of the time, it it won't even have to take that much in those meals because, again, food quality is way different, especially as I get more and more educated on what to eat and what my body works with, understanding what foods my body does not like, getting tested and figuring that out as well, just kind of give me a baseline and just give me a start like, okay, maybe I shouldn't be eating this for a while, just kind of let my body kind of recalibrate and then just reintroduce and see what happens from there, you know, just little things like that. But most people we know don't even want to go that far. They just want to just find an excuse and like, ah, hey, I'm getting old, man, I'm getting fat, it just comes with age, or I'm not feeling the way I should, you know, because that's just what happens, man. It is what it is, <laughs> you know.
3: Well, you know, but see, this is the thing. I used to really, I used to worry about people, and and I'll tell you this, guys. I I'll tell you what I have a hard time with. I have a wicked fat prejudice.
4: <laughs>
3: I can't even, I try really hard, and I'm, like, trying to work through it, but when I see people that are, like, I don't mean people that are bigger. Like, can you described your family sincere. I'm like, I can kind of relate to that. In a, uh, you know, I can look at people that are muscular and a little bit tubby on the side and okay with it, and I'm like, I can understand that. But some people I look, and they have virtually no muscle, and they have that really soft. Um,
2: Everything? And, and Mike
3: has that guy that, yeah, well, you know, they 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 start holding weight because their hormones are off, and, and my right. man Mike here, you know, this is his area, but but he, but you know, the, you, I'll give you for instance, you can tell, like I see women sometimes, and they and and, and older women, they, you can tell they've been drinking for twenty five years straight, and I look at their body, and I'm just like, I don't understand. It's hard for me to grasp. Like, how do you let that happen? How does it go that far? You know.
0: Yeah, and that just becomes more of a you know just you got to really look at what's you know where they are mentally at that point. It's not even about the food at that point. It's not about just necessarily the food choices itself or just the whole letting themselves go. It's just like what's really going on mentally, and it, right. it goes deeper. And that's just me in the psych you know the psychology background with me right there. It's just like it's, there's no simple answer to that. And then it's all about you, you got to look at like you know the, who they surround themselves with because no matter how uh, individualistic, we try to say that we are, you know, we do have those influences around us. You know, yeah, you got to take responsibility for yourself. But again, we're also as humans, we're very tribal, you know, so then you got to kind of take stock in, you know, what you're surrounding yourself with, and what kind of support system you're getting yourself with, what I get into into the, you know, the, the, the mental aspect of whatever. But like I said, you got to get deeper, you know, it's, like I say, it's, at that point, it's not just food choices. <laughs> you know, it's life choices. And and which direction they choose to go in those, and, and, you know, With those choices as well And at that point When are they going to effing get sick and tired Of being sick and tired If they're not sick and tired It's not going to change So if they're not sick and tired Those are the ones I, that get on my nerves about complaining I'm like okay you, when you get pissed off Then A you should complain But then you won't complain Because you're just going to do something about it So, But if they're oh, looking man. miserable Don't If run. they're looking miserable and, and you know that's their business So my thing is their their, their misery is not my business at that point because I, I got to focus on myself. And so – but my thing is just don't bitch about it until – my thing is get pissed off enough and do something. And if you're not pissed off, shut up. <laughs> you know, don't uh-huh.
3: – I think we lost Mike.
1: No, I'm still here. No, oh, Mike.
3: <laughs> I'm just oh, letting I'm you right.
1: go, man. I just don't want to I, – when I was listening to myself on the podcast last week, I was like, man, one, I take forever to ask a question and two – I keep interjecting too much, so I'm trying. I'm trying to listen more <laughs> this week. I'm listening to myself on the podcast, going, "Man, Mike, just ask the effing question and shut up <laughs> you know? oh. and let the guy respond." So I'm, uh, I'm taking a little step back, I'm taking a little spag bag. About you, Dale? Well, I'm, letting, I'm letting you shine here.
2: <laughs>
0: well, I'll tell you what, well, I, my, well, guys, uh, we're 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 getting short on time right now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we're at the. Fast, I know we have gonna bail
0: out because we start a little late. You know, with all the technical difficulties. So. um Dale, tell everybody where they can find out more information about you, brother.
3: Well, listen, I, I, uh, I don't have a lot going on online right now. I, uh, I have a Facebook page and I'm going to get together a, uh, a website soon. I'm going to do something that way, but it's not going to be too serious. But, uh, yeah, you know, people, uh, my email is Dale Hart, H-A-R-T-T at com, and, uh, People wanted to ask me questions, and I'm kind of a strange guy, so I get a lot of weird questions, but so they can add me on Facebook or whatever, and I'm pretty uh, adapted at weird questions. I'm kind of used to it at this point. And you're, you're starting a, a weird com- guy. You're start starting
1: a commune, aren't you, Dale? You're starting a commune, so they can email you about I I that. If they want. <laughs>
3: Absolutely.
1: No, I appreciate uh, and it, Dale. You know, and, yeah, you can contact Dale by email. He's on Facebook, and yeah, you, you should have a website, Dale, because you have some interesting ideas about training. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely get, get you back on the show, the show at some so point point.
0: talk I more want about that. that. See, the, the GMO food is taking over Mike now because now he's sound like a freaking alien. I don't know what just happened.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> he's getting all robotic on us.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But, yeah, Dale, we definitely want to bring you back, man, because there were some things I want to talk to you about, you know, um, barefoot running and earthing and things like that, because I know you're a big proponent of running barefoot. I mean, dude, you did 19.1 miles today barefoot. You know, and, of course, I saw everybody on your Facebook page posting like, Dude, your feet, you have to be tough and this, this, and this. and But, it, you know, there's a lot of great studies that, you know, that go into earthing and also running barefoot, walking around barefoot and things like that. So definitely we got to bring you back. We can talk about that, man. You down for that? Did we lose it?
1: I, I think, think we lost a lot. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, well. Hold on one second. Okay, is that reverberation gone good? Okay, yeah, I think my fun. phone we – yeah. folks, we were using my – we had some technical difficulties. Bootleg but, technology. Uh, yeah, I actually had to call into the show on my cell phone and then <laughs> bring a conference, Dale, in on that. And then I got in on Skype, <laughs> and then I had to put my phone further away so it wouldn't have that reverberation. I think we just lost them, but that's okay. Yeah. We, we, we got <laughs> – So, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get Dale <laughs> he back. He probably would we'll have had a – would have had a 20-minute response to that about coming <laughs> on the show again, so it's okay. Yeah, so
2: we'll, we'll do
0: that in the future, man, big time. So, Mike, one last thing, man. Um, tell everybody about the stuff you got going on as far as um, the, you know, the coupon code and things like that before we bounce out of here.
1: Absolutely. Assuming anyone is still listening at this point, <laughs> because the coupon code is LLA gets you 10% off all of my supplements. And I have a new systemic enzyme product coming out in a couple of weeks, probably about five or six weeks. That's going to be awesome. It's called Zone. I'll put up some detailed ad copy for it when the product's available, and we'll talk about it on the show too. And also I have some workshops coming up. I'm going to be in Holland next month. It's the only time I'm going to be in Holland this year, and who knows if I'll ever be back because I am phasing out workshops next year. So Holland in August, all the details are on my website, MikeMahler.com. I'll also be in New York City in September, It's the only East Coast course. I have going on. In fact, it's the only U.S. course I have going on this year, so don't miss this one. And then wrapping up the year, I'll be back in the U.K. in October to teach in London with Sabina Scala and Dan John, and then I'll be in Ireland the following weekend. And then that's it for the year. So I'm not sure what exactly I'm going to be doing workshop-wise next year, folks. I think I'm going to take probably the first six months of next year away from workshops, and then I'll decide whether I'm going to do some events in Vegas or elsewhere may not do any at all. I don't know, but we'll see what happens with that. And final thing is, I now have a podcast button prominently displayed on every page of my website. So you can find every episode of the show archived there. Please give us your feedback. Take a second to go on iTunes. Leave us a review. It doesn't have to be five stars. It's just an honest review. And you don't have to put your real name down even. You can can have some some fake names, pseudonym, whatever. But give us a review. Give us some feedback. How about yourself, Sincere? What do you have going on?
0: Cool. And also, you head over to newwarriortraining.com. You can download my digital uh, version of my DVD, my bodyweight training DVD, and you will get 30% off when you type in the coupon code LLA. Um, as far as workshops, the next thing coming up for me will be um, assisting at the IKFF certification, kettlebell certification, the CKT 1 and 2, here in Houston at my gym that I run with my partner Mike House over there. And you can find that information on newwarriortraining.com under workshops and certifications it'll take you right over there where you can sign up for that um, other than that that pretty much is it as far as workshops for me at the moment um, because I have some other projects as well that I'm working on um, and that's pretty much it but keep your feedback coming and definitely hit us up on Twitter as well um, at Mike Mahler or at Sincere Hogan use the hashtag LLA podcast we can always see your replies a lot faster that way, and hit us up on Facebook as well, um, the LLA Podcast. All right, so big thanks to our buddy Dale Hart for joining us today. Um, We're just going to have to work on him and getting him a little bit more technologically savvy
1: <laughs> for the next time we <laughs> yeah. bring him well, on. We'll, we'll, we'll get him an Internet connection and, and Skype. You know, maybe, maybe we'll have a little giveaway where we – Give an iPad out there. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a plan. So always a pleasure, buddy. Likewise, man. All right everybody. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. Bye everyone.